Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right, cool. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. You feel, however, that uh, that we're making progress in, in this country no, and worldwide? No, no, no. Uh, I will never say that progress is being made. If you stick a knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches, there's no progress. Mm -hmm. You pull it all the way out, that's not progress. The progress is healing the wound that the blow, that the blow made. And they haven't even begun to pull a knife out, much less try and pull, uh, heal the wound. You have, have you have they won't even admit the knife is there. Fuck Donald Trump. Fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, nigga, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, nigga, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah. I like white folks, but I don't like you. All the niggas in the hood wanna fight you. Surprise, El Chopper ain't tried to snipe you. Surprise, the nation of Islam ain't tried to find you. Have a rally out LA, we gon' fuck it up. Home of the ride and the King Ride, we don't give a fuck. Black students, ejected from your rally. Well, I'm ready to go right now, your racist ass did too much. I'm about to turn Black Panther. Don't let Donald Trump win, that nigga cancer. He too rich, he ain't got the answers. He can't make decisions for this country, he gon' crash us. No, we can't be a slave for him. He got me appreciating nobody way more. Hey, Donald, and they ain't one that follows. You gave us your reason to be president, but we hate Fuck Donald Trump. Fuck Donald and welcome Trump. to Wendell's World in Sports. Yeah, I'm your host, Trump. Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going down today in the world. A lot of things going down today in the world of sports. A lot of things going down today in this country that I'm going to be talking about, first of all, as I always begin the program with, well, as I always begin the podcast with, Shalom, Wassalamu Alaikum, Konnichiwa, Namaste, what's happening, what's going on, que pasa mi amigos, mi amo y Wendell Wallace, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us, I hope that you're doing everything that you need to do today throughout the world to make this world, place, region, community, block, neighborhood, a better place to be in, educating, learning, growing, all of those good things that this country, that this world needs in abundance. I hope everybody is doing that. I'm going to be getting into sports today, no doubt about it. I'm going to be talking about my Georgetown Hoyas, once again, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. I'm going to be talking about what's going on early in the NBA, who's the good team, who's the not a good team. I'm going to be speaking about what's happening coming up with the college football playoff between Alabama and Ohio State, which will, be, which will be taking place on Monday. I was going to get into Ryan Garcia, the new, I don't know, beacon of hope for boxing and his performance over Luke Campbell and what does it mean for the sport of boxing moving forward. Could this guy be the next Oscar De La Hoya? Could this guy be the next Manny Pacquiao? Could this guy be the next Sugar Ray Leonard? Could this guy have this type of impact on boxing as those legendary fighters had, even though De La Hoya, but could 
Ryan Garcia go go down as this generation's Sugar Ray Leonard in terms of exposure, in terms of bringing audience and excitement to the sport, in terms of bringing maybe non-boxing fans, people who hadn't really followed boxing since Tyson left or hadn't really done anything since Mayweather left. Could Ryan Garcia be that guy to bring that boxing fan or to bring that sports fan back into the world of boxing? And for the younger generation coming up, could... Ryan Garcia be that guy. If you take a look at his Twitter following, if you take a look at all the folks that follow him, that victory over Luke Campbell shows to me at 22 years of age, he's more than just a media creation. He's more than just a media sensation. And I believe the last time that you that uh, there was a Mexican fighter recently that was considered to be nothing more than a media creation. I think his name was Canelo Alvarez. And it turned out that, no, he was far from being just a media-hyped creation. Guy right now, the best pound for pound boxer in the game. Sorry, Bud Crawford. Sorry, Errol Spence. Sorry, uh, Timofilo Lopez. Sorry for all those guys. The number one guy, and it's been that way, I think, for a couple of years, has been Canelo Alvarez. So basically getting back to Ryan Garcia, could he be that next Mexican superstar who, unlike Canelo, really doesn't go out of his way to engage in terms of social media and looking for advertisers and looking for endorsements and be trying to be the face of boxing that way, it seems to me that Ryan Garcia is that guy who wants to embrace being that guy. So he has the skills, he has the look, he has the charisma, he has the know-how, he has the knowledge, and he has the want to to do all that. So can you put everything together and get that done? That's what I wanted to talk about on the podcast today, getting a little bit deeper thought and feelings about that, who he's going to be fighting next, who should he fight next. Could you imagine Lopez versus Garcia in the year 2023 down in Mexico? That might be that might be the biggest Timofilo Lopez versus Ryan Garcia in Mexico 2023 at 140 or 135 pounds? That might be one of the biggest, if not the biggest boxing event in Mexico boxing history. If that took place, that's the, that's the avenue. That's the journey that these guys are taking to uh, get to that point. And leading that charge and leading the way is Ryan Garcia. So I wanted to get a little bit more into that type of talk. But what happened was real life happened. And what happened on Wednesday was something that was, I mean, you know, <laughs> not surprising. I thought... What happened on Wednesday in this country would have happened a couple of days or the first 24 to 48 hours after the election and the piece of shit that's in the White House now for only a couple of more weeks, thank God. Hopefully, not even that. Uh, Once that became known that he lost, I thought that there would be a situation that we saw on Wednesday. I thought that would have taken place on November 4th or November 5th of last year. But we thought 2020's nonsense was over, right? Oops. Just starting off, even though people always say Happy New Year, I'm like, no, 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 no. For me, January 1st, 2021 is just a date. The new year for me is going to be January 21st, 2021, when that fucking lowlife antichrist is finally out the door of the White House. That, for me, is when the new year will be starting. What will that new year bring? I have no fucking idea. But you know what? As I mentioned before, when Herbert Hoover finally left the White House as the United States was in the Great Depression and Franklin Delano Roosevelt came in there, uh, didn't change the, the United States in terms of its economy and everything, didn't change overnight. 
But what he brought was hope. So what Joe Biden is bringing, and he wasn't my number one choice by any stretch of the imagination, but hell, as I mentioned to someone before, at least he's competent, at least he's not a racist, at least he's not misogynist, at least he's not corrupt, at least he's not bankrupt, corrupt, at least he's not amoral, at least he has some type of uh, human sense in the guy. So, you know, hey, that's a, that's a start from where we've been four years before. So, January 21st, 2021 that'll be my day when it when the clock strikes at midnight on january 20th 2021 that for me that'll be when the new day has begun and i'm not talking about kofi kingston or uh, or a Big E. so there you go man so this first segment of the program talking about professional and college athletes coaches responding to another embarrassing moment in history of the ignorant racist, selfish, divided states of America. Look, this is a sports talk podcast, but for this podcast is also for those who are listening from France and India and Australia, Poland, Germany, Spain, Singapore, Italy. I got people listening to this podcast in 18 different countries, including the ones the one that I live in. So I just want to just give everybody my thoughts and opinions about one person, one American living here in uh, this country. So what happened on Wednesday, as I mentioned before, I thought what happened 24 to 48 hours after the election, coup attempt from domestic terrorists, radical thugs, call them what you want, neo-Nazis, anti-Semites, racist scumbags, and the willingness for the police and others to let it happen. Just, just come on in, fellas. There's a lot of you. Just come on in. Motherfucker down the street talking about, yeah, let's go ahead and you got to do what you got to do in, in the D.C. police. Nobody... Saw that coming, huh? Once again, do you think I'm fucking stupid? Do you think the folks out here in this country are stupid? Well, obviously you think you do because over 70 million people voted for a corrupt, ignorant piece of shit like we have in the White House right now for a couple of more weeks. Maybe hopefully for a couple of more days. I don't know. But yeah, when you live in a country as stupid as ours, when you're talking about people in this country who are the stupidest motherfuckers walking this planet who are free thinkers, well then yes, I guess... The uh, folks in D.C., the police in charge of that and all that type of stuff, I guess they did say, fuck it. <laughs> These folks are stupid, are dumb enough. Police opening up the gates, taking selfies with domestic terrorists. And we have this propaganda in this country about, oh, man, you know, I'm scared of ISIS and, you know, Muslims and, you know, Chinese folks bringing in or Asian folks bringing in the Chinese flu and all this kind of bullshit. Man, Muslims don't scare me. Folks of Arab descent don't scare me. None of that stuff scares me. You know what's a black man who scares me in this country? White males. White males are the biggest threat to our to our democracy. That's our biggest threat. Not Muslims. Not those who support ISIS. None of those people. Uh-uh. ISIS is just kicking back saying, you're doing the work for us. Come, you know, the, 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 the people who are following that fucking idiot, they're doing the work for us. Hell, you know how many people this, in, around the world want to see this democracy fall and go down? Shit, what the, we don't even need to do anything. These stupid motherfuckers are destroying this country, country from within. <laughs> oh, man, 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 man. You know, the use of the 25th Amendment to remove this wannabe dictator should be used by a certain political party. But, you know, Republicans don't want it. And Democrats are too gutless, and spineless, and uh, cowardly to go ahead and do it. 
So we got to just put up with this pizza, this, this motherfucker one more day. Make sure he doesn't pardon himself. Make sure he doesn't pardon his family. You know what's interesting, though? Because here's a guy in this country who wants to be a dictator. He wants to just rule like a dictator. He loved dictators. He, 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 you know, he opens up his arms for dictators. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, almost all of the dictators who lived in this world a lot of them, their lives have ended in bloodshed, violence, and extermination. And I really started thinking about that. Because, you know, if you think, look, Adolf Hitler, he committed suicide inside his bunker. He took his mistress and new wife, Eva Braun, went to the lower room of his bunker. Braun took cyanide to kill herself. Hitler shot himself in the head. Hitler's remains were then, you know, the Russian folks came in, took its remains, identified the bodies, and then destroyed what was left to uh, 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 of his body and such. Mussolini was ousted from politics in July of 1943, and then about two years later, he was, uh, while trying to escape, he was uh, stopped by communist partisans, taken hostage, and then shot. After he was ousted from politics, he was immediately arrested and imprisoned until German uh, German paratroopers rescued him. And then, as I mentioned before, two years later, he was, he was shot. Bodies taken to the execution of 15 other anti-fascists the year before and hung upside down. Their bodies were hung upside down, him and his girlfriend. And then, according to the BBC News report at the time, Pastor Bai spit on the bodies and pelted them with rocks. Hmm. Interesting. These dictators, man. Stalin lived to be 73. He went to bed in the wee hours of March 1st, 1953. Never woke up. His guards under orders not to disturb the leader were worried, so they wanted to check on him, but they were too afraid. So basically a whole day went by until this guy finally mustered up the courage to check on him. And when they found him, he was there dead or near death, soaked in urine, having suffered a major stroke but barely still alive. Hmm, interesting. In fact, when he later died, his daughter wrote that at the last moment he suddenly opened his eyes, it was a horrible look, either mad or angry or full of fear of death. Suddenly he raised his left hand and sort of either pointed up somewhere or shook his finger at all of us. The next moment his soul, after one last effort, broke away from his body. Didn't go out the loving way about talking about I love you with lovely words of love and devotion to his family before he took his peaceful last breath and did transition, right? Nope, not that time. Not with, not with uh, Joey Stalin. And then, of course, Saddam Hussein, when uh, we know what happened to him, he was arrested on December 30th in 2005. He was led to the gallows of Camp Justice in northeast of Baghdad. Cell phone leaked a video revealing Hussein was vocal as he went to the went to his death, talking back to hecklers, defending himself as a savior of Iraqi of Iraqis and calling for Iraqs to fight off the Americans before he was hung. Dictators, man, they don't th their lives don't end well. Idi Amin, these guys, they just don't end well throughout the world. So I'm thinking to myself, the motherfucker that's in the White House now who wants to be a dictator 
And 70 million fools actually voted for this guy because either they were too racist, too selfish, too ignorant to really know what this guy is all about. I'm thinking to myself, you know, if this wannabe dictator that we have right now masquerading as the president of the divided, racist, ignorant states of America, if this guy wants to go down that path and at the end of his life, I mean, he ends up like Stalin. Hmm. You know, I might I might sit down and listen to that. I might be open to uh, be hearing that. I mean, if he wants to, you know, maybe do what he needs to do to get back into um, the present position for maybe six months and then he gets Mussolini'd. Eh. I mean, you know, I wouldn't shoot him. But, I mean, if that was the fate, as I mentioned before, if motherfucker that's in the White House right now, if he, if he can get Mussolini'd, hmm, interesting. We want to go down with uh, Melania and go down to a bunker somewhere because he can't face the fact that he's going to lose. I'm not going to stop him. I'm not going to encourage someone to take away the uh, pill and the gun and the bullet away from him. If that's the way he wants to go out. I'm quite sure that if he did, the air would be fresher. The skies would be bluer. The sunshine would be sunnier. The days would be warmer. The grasses would be greener. The flowers would smell sweeter. The smiles would be bigger. The chests would be out more. The walk would be more confident. Hmm. That's really, um, I mean, that wouldn't be too bad, right? I mean, you could take a world like that, right? Couldn't you? He wants to go down there and even brawl and Hitler himself? If the motherfucker is in the White House right now? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Hey, I'm not, I'm just saying. Just thinking out loud. Well, I really though, because I'm a big history guy. I was, um, you ever seen a documentary? I think the BBC did a documentary on Rasputin. Gregorio Rasputin. A guy who was a monk and championed himself of being a holy man, but he was nothing more than a con man who worked his way into the uh, into the hierarchs and became the confidant and the healer and you know, one of the best friends of the empress and the emperor. Uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, uh, Nicholas, Tsar Nicholas II and his wife. And um, he was the guy that ultimately was talking about, yeah, you guys need to do this and you guys need to do that in terms of uh, running the country. And basically the czar ran the country into the ground. And Rasputin was the guy who was the main person on that. So basically some folks got together and they tried poisoning him. They tried shooting him. They tried beating him all in one night and they couldn't do it. He wouldn't die. He just wouldn't die. No matter how many cakes with cyanide that he ate, no matter how many drinks of wine with cyanide and poison that he drank, it still wouldn't kill him. So they shot him a couple of times and they still wouldn't kill him. And then they beat him a couple of times and that still wouldn't kill him. So they put him in a, chained him up and threw him in the lake. And a couple of days later, they found his body and they found out that with all of that stuff, it wasn't until he was in the water for a few moments that he finally died. So cyanide didn't kill him. Guns didn't kill him. Beating him with baseball bats didn't kill him. And automatically, with all of that, throwing him into the water, that finally, finally killed him, right? So because of Rasputin, because Tsar Nicholas II and his wife, was, his wife Alexandra, 
was so derelict in their duties when going to war against Germany, unprepared, ill-suited, putting Russia in a horrible place, getting massacred by the Germans during the uh, World War I. Because Tsar Nicholas was so incompetent in his duties, guess what happened? His wife and their five children, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, Anastasia, and Alexei, they were all shot and bayoned to death. <laughs> That's what happens if you don't do your job. That's what happens when you cause mayhem and destruction and death and despair back around the 20th century, back in the first part of the 20th century in Russia. You get shot and bayoned to death and their bodies were taken to the forest where they were stripped and mutilated. Jeez, man. So I'm thinking to myself, Don Jr., Melania, what's this? What's his daughter's name? I mean, I know we live in a civilized country. Did y'all see Wednesday? Living in a civilized country, huh? Do you know about police brutality amongst black folks and brown folks and people of uh, color? Living in a civilized society, huh? Seriously? <laughs> we have 70 million people vote for a guy who wishes and wants it to be a dictator and are too stupid to realize that or just really don't care. Civilized society, huh? Hey, man, you know, I mean, if the motherfucker that's in the White House right now, if you need to be Tsar Nicholas, I ain't running to save him. I wouldn't stop him. Someone brought up that idea. Someone broached that idea. Do what you gotta do. Do what you got to do. So, yeah, man, that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're looking at, man. That is exactly the wanted to be dictator, huh? You might want to check your history books and find out that you know what? For the most part, dictators they don't they don't end too well. The story for them they don't it doesn't end too well. Wendell's World in Sports, yes, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So the attack on the Capitol building on Wednesday. You know, here's something that I'm, I'm really tired of hearing. Every time some shit like hap like this happens by these far right wing groups, and most of them are white. Could could you please spare me the we need to come together as a country and unite that we need to do this and we need to do that? Like somehow black folks and brown folks and Hispanic folks are complicit in any of this bullshit that's going on. Would you please stop? Don't don't put black folks, don't put brown folks, don't put Hispanic folks, don't put Asian folks, don't put them, don't don't put us in that category, please. We, meaning minorities and people of colors, we didn't do anything. We are not the reason why we are at the bottom of the barrel right now in terms of where we stand as a country. Black folks didn't contribute to any of this. Zero. None as a group. Now, yes, in those, amongst those terrorists, amongst those domestic terrorists, were there black folks? Yes. Were there Hispanic folks? Were there Asian folks? Yeah, probably so. But the overwhelming majority of those people were white folks, white males. So as a community, as a people, do not, do not, do not come to us and talk about, hey, we need to come together. What are we going to do? What, what, what do we have to do to uh, make this country a better place to be? What do we need to do? What do we need to do to bring harmony and love and peace and unity and bring it back to uh, the founding fathers, um, you know, plea? No, 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 no. That's a white folks problem right there. Black folks didn't contribute one fucking, one ounce 
to the bullshit that's going down right now. Not one bit. Not one fucking bit. So we're not the, we're not responsible for the mess in the situation this country is in. We are not the reason this country has been a disappointing and a laughing stock across the globe. We have been far more patient, far more understanding, far more tolerant, and we than we should be expected. And if anything, after this pandemic showed you, we have problems in our society. Yeah, we have problems in our community. Absolutely. Yeah, man, I wish that we could go a weekend without having a black man shoot another black man or another black person kill another black person. Damn, I wish that we could go ahead and kind of get that under control. Yeah, damn, I sure wish that, you know, folks, males who father children in our community would be a little bit more responsible. Hell yeah, I sure wish that we could. Yes, there's some things in our community that needs work without question. Just like every other community in this country, just like every other community in this entire world. So yes, we are far from perfect. The black community is far, 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 far from perfect. And you know what? When you really strip it down, our wants and our needs and some of our our negatives and some of our bad habits are step in step with white folks and Asian folks and, Asian, and um, Hispanic folks and everybody else. As a community, a black community, yeah, we're still selfish as hell. Yeah, this stuff about black unity, don't let that shit fool you. Black folks aren't really interested in taking care of black folks. You know who black folks are, take, are interested in taking care of? Themselves. Just like Hispanic folks, just like Asian folks, just like Jewish folks, just like Christian folks, just like any other folks. Black folks are interested, number one, in taking care of themselves and people that they care about the most. Period. There isn't, there isn't any great discrepancy between white folks helping out white folks and black folks helping out black folks or white folks helping out black folks and black folks helping out white folks. There is no discrepancy. Asians do that well. Jewish folks do that well. But even their claim to talk about we take care of themselves has been overblown. That, that claim to fame is overrated. We're human beings. Which means that living in this country, especially being a citizen of this country, living in a capitalist society, yeah, our number one goal is to take care of ourselves. Our number one goal is to look after ourselves. Our number one goal is to take care of me, myself, and I first, second, and third. And if we're really nice, maybe we'll get down to helping that man who needs to helping him. Maybe we'll help that person down the line. But black folks are going out of their way for the most part. There isn't an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of black folks going out of their way to help black folks to where white folks are like, wow, those guys really look after each other. So when you speak about oppression and when you speak about discrimination and when you speak about white privilege and you speak about white folks having the fear that if black folks intro infiltrate our community and infiltrate our schools and infiltrate our jobs and oh my goodness all of a sudden i start i, I have to start working for these people and all of these type of things and all they're going to do is hire their own and play rap music and have tattoos and cornrows and have their pants pants sagging that they go to work every day number one you're a fucking idiot number two that ain't that ain't happening that ain't true that's not there there isn't going to be any type of you have a black man be in charge of hiring people. You know what that black man's going to do? He's going to hire the best people. Or the ratio of black men that you hire to hire other people is going to be the same ratio or even better than a white man hiring because a black man truly is going to be hiring the best people because he's going to be open-minded enough to hire more than just people who look like him. 
and like a really good number of white folks. So this nonsense is just, you know, that, that, that's the situation that it is. Please, as this situation unfolds, please stop saying, what do we need to do? We don't need to do nothing. What you need to do, as far as the white community toward the black community and other community is concerned, what you need to do is to fucking listen. What you need to do is to learn. What you need to do is to understand where we're coming from. What you need to do is to fucking get some goddamn common sense and listen to what the fuck we are saying. Instead of listening to fucking race-baiting assholes like Rush, can't you just fucking hurry up and die already so we can have a decent society limbaugh? Instead of Mark Levin, instead of... Uh, Super Coon Candace Owens, instead of Paris Denard, instead of Fox News, instead of Alex Jones, instead of uh, uh, Michael Savage, instead of uh, these fucking idiots on Fox, the Laura Ingram of the world, who are telling you lies, nothing but lies, all about lies, and you guys are either too lazy, too ignorant, too selfish, too blind, Two, I don't give a fuck to find out exactly if they're telling the truth or not by, I don't know, maybe talking to someone who does not look like you or maybe listening to people who do not look like you. Instead of doing that, you just go ahead and you take the word of the fucking idiots. So when they say, instead of putting the blame in terms of, hey, you know what, what happened on Wednesday at the Capitol, horrible, terrible, this is awful, this, that, and the other, you know, what the, uh, uh what the, Trump folks did and all this kind of stuff and the Trumpsters and the MAGA fools and all this kind of stuff. Let's put the blame on them for what happened on Wednesday and let's see what we can do about fixing and correcting this problem because obviously if you're going to have a bunch of fucking trailer park white trash stupid motherfuckers going to the Capitol building and doing what they did and going ahead and having people just say go on ahead who's supposed to be in charge of security or in charge of uh, dealing with these folks, then there's something wrong here. So instead of saying that, what do these fucking idiots on Fox and OAN and Alex Jones and all these fucking other idiots talk about? Well, yeah, it was uh, Antifa. Oh, yeah, it was a uh, left-wing groups coming in, disguising themselves as mega folks. It's like, a mega folks, it's like, really? Are we going to go there with that? And people, again, believe it. White folks, again, believe it because they just can't come to the conclusion. They can't bring it to their minds to realize that, yes, police brutality is a thing. That, yes, oppression and discrimination amongst black and brown people is a thing. Yes, when black people talk about discrimination, when black people talk about not being rightfully seated, seated at the table, when black people talk about not getting the respect that they deserve, white people can't fucking understand that. Some, most, a lot, too many white people cannot understand what we're talking about. So instead of listening to, oh, I don't know, the source which they can give get the most information from, black people, no, no, no. They'll go ahead and they'll listen to Alex Jones, they'll listen to Laura Ingram, they'll listen to Rush Limbaugh, they'll listen to Mark Levin, who sit there on one breath to talk about I'm not a racist, and then spew nothing but racism. And you don't have to go out there and Limbaugh knows that he can be racist and make hundreds upon millions of dollars race baiting without using the term nigger, c 
raccoon, gorilla. And even if he did, he could just say, I was just joking that black people need to, you know, take a break. They say it all the time in rap music, so what's the big deal? And again, white folks are too uneducated and too unwilling to learn why that motherfucker should be dead and hopefully he'll die soon. So this world can become a better place. So black folks don't have a don't mm -mm, we are not mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm, no we didn't create this problem no we did not create this problem and you should be happy i guess black folks should be happy too but when you should white folks in, in, in this society should be happy that black folks are too intelligent too tolerant and also too aware to know that they can't try the stunt that these white folks did on wednesday run into the capitol they they know what would happen. And when people say, can you imagine? No, black people don't need to imagine. We don't even need to imagine what happened. We don't, we don't even imagine it because we don't even want to imagine what would happen if we did imagine if we did some shit like this. And you have these stupid motherfuckers who are walking around the Capitol taking selfies with police officers and putting themselves on social media because these guys are too arrogant and so so wrapped up in their white privilege that they just feel that nothing, no repercussion is going to be because of it, become of it. You have people leaving the Capitol after destroying it being helped out by police officers. Welcome to the racist, divided, ignorant states of America. And then white folks scratch their head when black folks are like, man, I can't love this country as much as y'all do. Well, why don't you fucking leave it then? Wow, really? Because we helped build this motherfucking country. Y'all wouldn't be at the, the United States wouldn't be the superpower that it was if it wasn't for us. That's the reason why we ain't leaving, motherfucker. So it's just absolutely unbelievable. So that's my rant, personal rant, about what's happening in this country and in this world today. It's a shame it's a disgrace. It's not a surprise. We always say, what are we going to do to rebuild it? What did, uh, Joe Biden can't do anything. And even, even we sit here and people talk about, well, you know, Trump stirred things up and this, that, and the other. No, he just gave him the go-ahead. He just gave him the go-free pass. These people who did this shit, this wasn't somewhere where four years ago, five years ago, eight years ago, that these guys were just loving, unified people who just loved all races, faces, and places. And all of a sudden, they heard Donald Trump. And all of a sudden, you know, like a guy who takes cocaine for the first time, you know, they say, once you take one hit, you're hooked. No, this wasn't somewhere, you know, these wonderful, law-abiding, peaceful, unified, loving every race, culture, creed, and ethnicity People were walking around the streets and then they heard or saw Donald Trump and all of a sudden his words about lock him up and his words about Mexico building a, uh, building a wall and having Mexico pay for it or talking about shithole countries or talking about, you know, there were racists on both or there were good people on both sides in Charlottesville. And it wasn't like all of a sudden they just turned. And upon hearing that, all of a sudden it just changed their life forever. forever. No, they were people like that before Donald Trump came along. They just thought their grand fuhrer, their white supremacist leader, the leader of the ignorant, would give them the, the, the okay to give them the free pass to express what they thought, thought and, feel, and felt. And when they found out that that shit was over in terms of them getting a free pass, then all of a sudden they got upset and they got angry. And feeble-minded fools that they are, you can believe a lie, such as the election was rigged and that could set off 
as I mentioned before, people who are basically idiots. These people aren't crazy. They're fucking idiots. There's nothing crazy about these people. Stop calling them crazy. They're idiots. They're scumbags. They're lowlife. They're stupid people. That's what they are. Nothing more. And they're domestic terrorists. They're, they, they are the envision. They are the, they are the people that we believe ISIS is. If someone was walking down the street and you pointed out to them and they said, that guy is an ISIS sympathizer. And he was wearing, uh, you know, he was dressed in Islamic garb. Uh, you would probably look at him with fear or disgust or anger. Probably wouldn't walk on the side, same, uh, you wouldn't walk on the same side of the street as him. If I, if I told you this was Malcolm Abdul Malik walking down the street in his Arab guard, and this guy is an ISIS sympathizer. Your thoughts and your feelings toward this guy would uh, be completely different. And if I told you that El Mal, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, El Shalik Shabazz or whoever, who was a who was a ISIS sympathizer, uh, got killed today. No one would sit there and be like, "Oh man, poor guy, man. God damn, shit, fuck. I can't believe that. That's terrible." Your response would probably be. Well, I mean, if he's down with ISIS, I really don't give a fuck what happens to him. So, you know what? I guess that means that, you know, we stopped a potential terrorist. So what's the big deal about someone who's Islamic or someone who follows the Quran or someone who's wearing Arab guard or someone who's a ISIS sympathizer? What's the big deal if someone like him dies? It just means that the chances of, of us being attacked are nullified or are decreased. Well, I put... People who wear these MAGA hats, I put people who are from these ultra-conservative states, backwoods ultra-conservative states, I put people who drive around in their pickup trucks with their don't tread on me flags and their Trump flags and their American flags, I, I feel the same way about them as most people do about ISIS, about people of ISIS who are ISIS sympathizers of Muslim descent. That's how I feel about folks who are strong-willed, down to the bone, shoot somebody and I still wouldn't be charged or arrested for it. Trump sympathizer. MAGA people are, are just as bad or worse than folks of ISIS. They just don't have the they just don't have the financial means to place terror on this country that possibly ISIS could. So it's like for me moving forward, hey man, let me tell you something. Any more of you MAGA motherfuckers? Any more of you don't tread on me motherfuckers? Any more of these Donald Trump forever forever motherfuckers? Any time that you run up on the Capitol, anytime you run up on a state capitol, shit, you motherfuckers aren't lucky that I'm running the country because I would give the command. You wanna run up and try to do that bullshit again? You want us to play your game? Fine, we can go ahead and do that. No problem. You wanna go to war with us? Fine! Your dumbasses try us. Now there'll be a bunch of dead mega motherfuckers all over the streets that we can clean up and throw into the uh, throw into the uh, uh, th throw into the uh, garbage bins that we can take out to the landfill and get rid of them. You want to do? You want to be stupid enough to go ahead and start charging on 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 state capitals with the intent to commit violence, not peaceful protest, but violence, and do the same shit that you did. 
on Wednesday, fine. There'll be a bunch of dead, stupid motherfuckers laying down on the street. You try some stupid shit like that again. And then maybe the maggot motherfuckers, maggot motherfuckers will realize that, oh shit, you know, um, maybe, you know, the old, we're going to take things over and we're going to do things our way. Ah, uh, it didn't work out too well. Maybe we should try a new way to go about and express our displeasure with this country. You want to do that? Fine, man. Don't, don't go for it. Do your marches. Do what you need to do. But if you're going to start putting people's lives at stake, and it comes down to either them or yours, we gotta. this country has to let them know that if it comes down to that, believe me, it's going to be yours. So if you want to die for Donald Trump, be my guest. Go for it. Knock yourself out. <laughs> Good Lord have mercy. That's my thoughts and feelings about what's happening in this country today. Now, for some athletes that are speaking out on what happened, let's uh, go ahead and talk about that. To have once been a criminal is no disgrace. To remain a criminal is the disgrace. I, I formerly was a criminal. I formerly was in prison. I'm not ashamed of that. You never can use that over my head. And that he's using the wrong stick. I don't feel that stick. <laughs> they charged Jesus with sedition. Didn't, didn't they do that? They said he was against Caesar. They said he was discriminating because he told his, his disciples, go not the way of the Gentiles, but rather go to the lost sheep. Go to the people who don't know who they are, who are lost from the knowledge of themselves, and who are strangers in a land that is not theirs. Go to those people. Go to the slaves. Go to the second-class citizens. Go to the ones who are suffering the brunt of Caesar's brutality. And if Jesus were here in America today, he wouldn't be going to the white man. The white man is the oppressor. He would be going to the oppressed. He would be going to the humble. He would be going to the lowly. He would be going to the rejected and the despised. He would be going to the so-called American Negro. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. 
wanted to get that off my chest. Felt really good. Hey, look, man, I'm here to uh, let people know. I'm here to let you know. Look, it's not about... It's not about all white people being bad and this, that, and the other, and all the problems are because of white folks and this, that, and the other. I, I, I know it's not that. I know it's not that. I realize it's not that. But just sometimes I gotta like for some folks out there, I just gotta let you into like conversations that black folks have between each other when it comes to stuff like this. And again, it's a, it's just a matter of when we see a guy who is running for re-election in this country. And he spews racist nonsense. And he lies. And it's not even, he's not even being slick. He's not even being slick anymore. When he goes to a, a, a Ukrainian, when he goes to the president of Ukraine and is talking about, can you find something on my political opponent to uh, help me win any type of dirt, whether it's true or not, and then talk about if you don't, there's going to be ramifications, basically bribing the guy. When you're speaking about a guy who openly said that, yeah, you know what? I knew that the coronavirus was bad. I knew it was a lot worse than the flu. I knew all these things. But you know what? I was lying. Well, I, didn't sound, I didn't say it because I just didn't want to, you know, put people into a, to a panic. Well, he's on tape saying that. Well, he's on tape talking about, oh, yeah, you don't believe that black guy, the, the you know, Black Lives Matter stuff and all this kind of stuff. When he race baits like he does. Well, he does all of these things, and then over 75 million people still vote for him, knowing that this is what he's all about. I mean, as a person of color, what the fuck are you supposed to ex- expect? What do, you want me to, what do you want me to say? And, yeah, I know that the percentage of people who voted for him increased in the black community. We're not a monolith and we are far from perfect. Far, far, far from perfect. I understand all of that, but still, yet and still, the overwhelming majority of folks who voted for this piece of shit were white folks. And I, I don't understand A, why, and B, I don't understand why people, and I've had conversations with people who are like literally offended by me saying, you know what, you're, you're supporting a racist. So either you don't care, you're too selfish to care about what happens to anybody else, you are stupid enough to think that he's really not, and he's just bullshit, and he's just not, you know, really like that at all, or you goes back to the folks that you just don't care. If he wants to separate children at the border and put them in cages, you don't care. If you're talking about him sending out the National Guard to uh, use pepper spray and tear gas and all them things to people who are just marching to uh, kind of bring attention to some of the ills and defects of this community and you turn to that by tear gassing them and and using violence against them, you, you don't care. So there's either you don't care, you're so wrapped up in your privilege that you don't are not aware of it. I don't know what it is, but folks actually would get upset, and it's like if you don't understand and you're not going to change, fuck you. So there you go. Wendell's world in sports. Ah, <sighs> still glad that you could be with us. Oh, okay, so speaking about what happened at the Capitol, athletes speaking about what happened. The NBA, as usual, leading the way. Golden State Warriors. Draymond Green. This was pretty good. This is what he said after the uh, game against the Clippers concerning the raid uh, on the Capitol 
on Wednesday night. This is what Mr. Green had to say. It just goes to show the police policing system was built against black people, you know, black and brown people. And that's the reason those reactions are different. That's the reason someone can walk or run or bust their way through or whatever into the Speaker of the House office and put their feet on the desk like they're sitting at home on their couch, storming, you know, storming into a building and, and busting out windows and carrying podiums and, and all that other stuff. That's not a protest. That's a terrorist attack. And so uh, stop using the, the, the like, stop describing those people the same way you describe someone who just stand there and make a chant and say, we want justice, we want peace. Stop using the same word. It's disrespectful. It's ridiculous. Um, and it's shameful, you know, to, to keep calling them protesters. Not fucking protesters. They're fucking terrorists. So after the game, you were speaking about the privilege white people have in this country to be arrogant and comfortable enough to do what they did Wednesday and not worry about what would happen in retaliation from the police and compared to what would happen if black people tried that. Not not just black people, because when you have these Black Lives Movement, it's people of all different races marching with them. It's not strictly a black person thing. But we know if the Black Lives Movement were to do what these thugs and these neo-Nazis and this, these pieces of trash did, that yes, the outcome would be very different. If a bunch of white folks with Black Lives Matter shirts and T-shirts and hats and everything came walking up to the Capitol, it would be a lot different. So it's more than just, you see a black person, you shoot them, violence, this, that, and the other, even though that's the case. That's the case. That is the case. But also, it's just a matter of people who are even down with our cause. So it's not like, oh, you know, if, if a Black Lives Matter protest or a march and this ain't something to where all the people who are doing this are black. You have plenty of white folks and, and Hispanics and, and people of all different races walking to try to improve the betterment of black folks, the treatment of black folks and brown folks and Hispanic folks and such in this country. You have people of all races and faces walking together. So imagine if that group of people will walk up upon the Capitol and try to do the same bullshit that um, those fucking domestic terrorists did, those thugs did on Wednesday. It wouldn't be like the police would be like, okay, all white folks who are with the march, come on in and destroy the place. All black folks get ready to be shot and arrested. No, no, it would be, it would be all of them. They would, the police wouldn't be discriminating on any of you guys. White, black, anybody who would be marching for the betterment of black folks in that situation or, I don't know, looking to loot, burn, vandalize, and destroy in that situation, like those thugs did on Wednesday, everybody would be either arrested, tear gassed, dead, shot, or whatever. So, exactly what uh, Draymond was talking about when he was talking about, could you imagine what happened if black people tried to do that? Well, not, it, it was, it's more than just black people in this situation. Because, again, I think that if a whole group of white folks came out there and the majority of them were donning Black Lives Matter garb that they would be in a whole bunch of trouble because of uh, of uh, that situation. So, and he made a great point about not describing the protesters and comparing them to those who are marching peacefully, peacefully and doing those type of things. Again, they're not protesters; they're terrorists. 
There are domestic terrorists. They are on the same level as ISIS. They are on the same level as that group who want to destroy our country, who want to destroy our nation. They are on that level, and they should be treated as such. So if a group of ISIS members of Islamic descent came walking up, looking like they were going to try to do some things, you don't think that them folks would hesitate to pull out some type of weapon and defend the capital? So the same thing should have happened. And do you think that if bloodshed would have been, would have happened, and there would be a bunch of ISIS members who tried to do what those MAGA motherfuckers did? You saw a bunch of ISIS members on the ground dead because of what they tried to do, uh, tried to do something similar to what the uh, folks did on Wednesday, that people would be sitting there crying tears and oh my goodness and wringing their hands and biting their nails. No, nah, man, they'd be cheering on the streets. They'd be dancing in the streets. They'd be all so happy and this, that, and the other. So we need to start treating these MAGA fucking jackasses, these white nationalists, these white racists, not just white racists, racists of all kinds, we need to start treating them the same way because they are just as big of a threat to our nation as the folks who are down with ISIS. And it's, it's almost like a serial killer. I mean, I almost compare these, these MAGA folks to serial killers. There's a reason why Ted Bundy could get away with killing over 100 people. There's a reason why the Gary Ridgway got away with killing people for decades and killing over 100 people. There's a reason why John Wayne Gacy could dress up like a clown and take a picture with Rosalind Carter and go ahead and kill 30-something boys in his, um, in his house and put them in a crawl space. There's a reason why these people can do that. Why? Because they don't look like someone who would do something like that. If people were walking around like Otis Toole, the guy who uh, murdered Adam Walsh, if someone was looking like that guy, yeah, people would walk across the street when he was walking down the same street. Yeah, people wouldn't get in his car if he told them to come on over. Yeah, prostitutes wouldn't get in the car and go ahead and try to uh, and, and, and do and, and test their luck if people looked like Otis Tool was up there talking about, hey, you want to get in my car? Hey, you want some candy? Hey, let me show you this magic trick. Hey, can you help me with my uh, books? I have uh, my hand is, my arm is in a... Is it a cast, and I need and I need someone to uh, take my books to the uh, car for me, to my uh, Volkswagen Bug? Yeah, some motherfucker looked out of his mind and crazy, like Otis too. And they'd be like, "Nah, I'm good. Don't worry about it." A beautiful young female would be like, "Nah, that's okay. Good luck to you. See ya." Same thing with um, these domestic terrorists. I mean, you know, these these, these MAGA motherfuckers. They, these people can uh, you know go about society, and if they want to, they can hide in plain sight. If you're ISIS. And you're of Islamic descent and you want to go and keep it real 100 and practice your religion and do all that type of stuff. You ain't going to be getting away with doing what the MAGA motherfuckers did. No, ain't going to be happening. So, yeah, man, let's let's stop trying to, because they're American, there's certain things that we, we can, you know, there's certain ways that we need to deal with these people rather than these terrorists from these Iranian countries. No, they treat all of them people the same. You're looking to inflict some violence. We will kill first, worry about it never. So Draymond Green in that situation, don't call them protesters, they're terrorists. Same folks who are up there talking about how anti-American, the same people who are talking about how anti-American Colin Kaepernick is because he decided to kneel to express his First Amendment before a football game, before the game started, not giving a speech, not burning a cross, not burning a flag, 
not uh, wiping his ass or sweat on a flag, nothing like that. Just, just kneeling, peaceful kneeling. People called him anti-American. People said he needed to go somewhere else. All of this type of shit. These same people are the ones who feel that it's fine, feel that it's a-okay, feel that there's nothing wrong to go ahead and did what they did on Wednesday. Go fuck yourselves, man. So Draymond Green in that situation got it right. Wendell's World in Sports. Yes, still talking sports. Wendell's World in Sports. Um, your host of Wendell Wallace talking about what's going down. Philadelphia 76ers coach, Doc Rivers. America's blackhead coach, Doc Rivers. He made the point about what would have happened if that was black people storming the Capitol buildings. This is what Doc had to say. Uh, but what it's not is I keep hearing um, like um, this attack on democracy. Uh, it's not. Democracy will prevail. Uh, it always does, uh, Mark. Uh, it, it shows a lot, though. Um, you know, when you saw the protests in the summer uh, and you saw the riots, uh, or more the, the police and the, and the National Guard and the Army, and then you see this and you saw nothing. Um, you know, it basically proves the point about uh, a privileged life, you know, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I'll say it because I don't think a lot of people want to. Uh, could you imagine today if those were all black people uh, storming the Capitol and, and what would have happened? You know, um, so that to me is a picture that's worth a thousand words for all of us uh, to see and, and probably um, something for us to reckon with again. You know, um, no police dogs turning on people, no billy clubs hitting people, uh, people peacefully being escorted uh, out of the Capitol. Uh, so it shows that you can disperse a crowd peacefully, I guess, uh, would be the one thing. Um, but it's a sad day uh, in a lot of ways. It's not good for our country, more uh, across the borders that people see this. But it's, um, it's, it's part of what we are, and, and so we have to solve. Thank you, Doc. Wasn't an de- attack on democracy. Democracy will prevail. That's true. I would like to see democracy change a little bit so we can give people, other people, the same chances that it gives everybody else. But you're right. In the end... Democracy will prevail. We were never going to be a dictatorship. We were never going to go into that. Uh, we were never going to go into that space. But he mentioned the fact that when you saw the protesters in the summer, and you saw the police sending out the army, and then again, could you imagine if those were all black people that stormed the Capitol? A picture is worth a thousand words. Again, Doc, we you and you know this. You know this uh, answer that of course <laughs> things would be a lot different things would be a whole lot different. And that's what we're trying... Maybe we should say that uh, moving forward, maybe if those MAGA fools were treated like they were black storming the Capitol, maybe that might uh, put a pause on some of their actions and some of their thoughts and feelings about maybe we should use violence to get our point across. Y'all haven't suffered like black folks have suffered in this country to even think to even begin about thinking about violence. We have been under <laughs> we we have been under the bullshit of this country moving on four hundred years. Four hundred years. And every day we're trying to see what we can do just to gain a little bit of momentum, gain a little bit of movement. Sometimes we move forward, sometimes we move back. 
But for those who are out there speaking about, well, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, hey, BLM, see what they did in Minneapolis? Burning down a Target, burning down stores, looting. Do you realize how many acts of brutality? Do you realize how many acts of violence have been bestowed upon people of color? Poor communities, rich communities being harassed, being murdered, being lynched, being killed, being subjugated to humiliation, being subjugated to uh, just acts of horror and terror. And not once have we reciprocated in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it ain't like every time there's an act of police brutality that black folks all of a sudden decide that they're going to loot and burn things. If that was the case, America wouldn't be standing if that was the case. If that was the case, then America would have burned down from the first part of 2019 to probably May or June of that same year. If we were going to take that tack and to compare that to what happened at the Capitol building, again, if you're feeble-minded and you're stupid, you'll find some way to say, yeah, that's the same thing. Yeah, that's the same, that's the same deal. So, uh, in, you know, again, it's just apples and oranges, but when you go ahead and you do that, when you go ahead and you get people who want to believe in narrative to make themselves feel good, and they're not interested in talking to someone about it, who might have a different opinion that might be able to educate and understand, have you better understand of what's going on, you get that. So some good stuff by Doc in terms of, you know, could you imagine if those were black people that stormed the Capitol? I don't want anybody storming the Capitol. I don't want anybody committing acts of violence. I don't care who you are. It's not like, yeah, you're right. It's not like, hey, black folks, let's go out and riot tonight. Yeah, woohoo! Let's go up to Carson City and start burning some things. Let's show them that these Negroes don't play. Yeah, yeah. I'm not interested in that. I don't want anything. I don't want that. I don't want that to happen. I don't want any bloodshed with anybody. Anyone. But geez, man. I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't want to imagine that. But again, the image the, that the, uh, the image is there. And again, it goes even deeper than skin color. I think it's also for what you're fighting for. Could you imagine if those were people storming the Capitol that were upset about police brutality, about discrimination, about uh, you know uh, justice in this country being skewed one way, about privilege overtaking so much, and half of those people that were storming the Capitol were white, a third of them were black, a third of them were Hispanic, and a third of them were Asian, and the other half were white. Could you imagine what would happen? The same thing that would happen if all black folks who were fighting for the same thing went running up there. So I think moving forward in my community, the black community, I think we also need to kind of recognize that, hey, while, yes, it's 100% that violence and bloodshed and death would have happened if black folks would have done that. I also think the bigger thing that we need to think about and talk about is the cause. What we would be fighting for is bigger than just black folks itself. The fact that people would be marching to see betterment for black folks in our society. 
would lead to that type of bloodshed. While lies, stupidity, ignorance ruled the day on Wednesday and allowed them to do what they did. So I think moving forward with Doc and Draymond Green, even though they were correct, they were correct, no doubt about it. I think, you know, as a, as a way to strengthen our argument even more and to bring even more people in to help us in our quest to uh, get to where we need to be as far as the society and people and my community is concerned. We need to also, when we talk about, could you imagine if that happened to black people, we also need to include, could you imagine if people who were fighting for those type of causes such as police reform, equality, and that type of thing would have stormed the Capitol. So let's not leave out, let's not leave out our white brothers and sisters and Hispanics and others who are also uh, down with the cause uh, for us getting better treatment and for us uh, getting the equality that we deserve in this country and are willing to uh, put in the work and are who are willing to march with us and do the things uh, that need to be done because it wouldn't be moving anywhere if it was just black folks. You can definitely believe that. So I appreciate that. Wendell's World of Sports. Yes, sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, talking about what happened on Wednesday. Now equating it with uh, some of the things that went down when, of course, athletes who have voices, even though you have knuckleheads and you have ignorant racist bastards who want to sit there and talk about, oh, yeah, billionaire, millionaire athletes talking about, woe is me, can't you guys just shut up and play basketball? No, no, we, no we can't, and they won't. Oh, we just, you just lost a fan, who gives a fuck? <laughs> Believe me, Draymond Green... Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, LeBron James, Doc Rivers, folks in the NBA, believe me, they'll, they'll make it. They'll make it. You leaving or you not watching the NBA because you're too stupid to realize that it's not all too political, then, you know, don't worry about it. The league is going to keep going forward. Now, now, if after every timeout... Or after every basket made, the player who made the basket got on the microphone and started talking about black folks need this and black folks need that and there's a bill that's being presented in the house and we need to have your support in this and this, that, and the other. And, you know, let me give you a five-minute uh, thought and opinion piece about what I think about how Biden's doing and the new administration. Now, now if, if players started doing that, if players started doing that after every quarter, after every interview, after every basket made, Right after halftime, before halftime, in between timeouts. Now, if they, if they started doing that, yeah, then I can understand. We're like, look, fellas, I, you know, I, I, I'm just here to watch basketball. I, I'm not here for, you know, I'm not here to be Malcolm X. I'm not here to be civil rights. I'm not here to be Martin Luther King. I'm not. I, I just want to watch the game of basketball. If you just wouldn't mind. Look, y'all, I just want to see a football game. I mean, could someone go out and give somebody a concussion? Could, could you guys try sacking the quarterback? I mean, could you guys just for a few moments concentrate on, oh, I don't know, scoring a touchdown and winning a game before we start talking about, you know, how horrible our society is? Can we just kind of like, you know, maybe talk about that a little bit later? Now, if, if players were doing that type of stuff, if Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth were dedicating time to the broadcast to be talking about what's going on and how can we get better and white and white guilt and all this type of stuff. Now, if they were doing that, yeah, it, it, it would become annoying real fast. Real fast. But guess what? It's not that. So when people talking about athletes, talking about political issues, 
equates the game is becoming too political and that's the reason why you're turning off the game. No, nah, that's, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. So, in that situation, yeah. Boston Celtics young forwards, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they spoke after the game against Miami about the terrorist attacks on our country and Jalen Brown, who is an absolutely outstanding young man, had this to say, quoting and mentioning the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. There's some things that's been going on in our society. Uh, it reminds me of what Dr. Martin Luther King has said, that there is two split different Americas. In one America, you get, to, you get killed by sleeping in your car, selling cigarettes, or playing in your backyard. And in another America, you get to storm the Capitol and no tear gas, no massive arrests, no, <clears throat> none of that. So I think it's obvious, it's 2021, I don't think anything has changed. Um, we want to still acknowledge that. We want to still push for the change that we look for. Um, but as of yet, we have not seen it. Um, we want to continue to keep conversations alive and do our part. Jalen Brown is just an outstanding young man. Congratulations to the mentors and the parents who uh, raised this guy. From the outside looking in, I never met the man. Don't know what he does on the daily. Uh, never been around him, so... You know, I can't speak with absolute 100% uh, uh, fact on this, but from what he's shown in the uh, ways that he's being presented, he is an outstanding young man. Mentioned Martin Luther King Jr., as I mentioned before, talking about two different Americas. One America, you get killed by sleeping in your car, selling cigarettes, or playing in your backyard. The other America, you get to (laughs) storm the Capitol without tear gas or massive arrests, and... You want to acknowledge that things have not changed in 2021 and they want to continue to push for change. And that's awesome because Jalen Brown in the next 20, 30 years, when he's done playing basketball, he's going to be one of the guys that's going to be responsible for the direction that this world is going. His his generation is going to be responsible for which direction this country, this world is going. So to see someone like this young man Go ahead and do what he's doing. It's fantastic. It's awesome. And I'm glad that uh, those guys before the national anthem took a knee to uh, kind of solidify their thoughts and feelings about what went down on Wednesday in our nation's capital. Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. D. Wade, he posted on Twitter, black people get pulled over and don't make it out alive. We can't sleep in our own beds without being killed. We can't jog without being killed. We can't walk down the street with our hoodies up without being killed. But they can do this. Now, I don't know because many people would say shut up and dribble or you're an athlete. Who cares? Dwayne Wade is no longer an athlete. So does that mean that now since he's no longer an athlete, can he he now have a voice? Can he now make an opinion? Can he now go ahead and put his opinion on Twitter or social media and have people take a look at it? Can he do that now, or is he too black and too rich? I don't know, because most people get upset from the other side when people are poor 
and black. And it's like, well, who cares? You're a nobody anyway. Shut the fuck up. It's all your fault. Your community is out shooting people. And you're part of the problem because you're part of that, that uh, community. Why don't you see what you can do about, you know, having your people get off drugs and taking care of your, taking care of your, care of your children and all that kind of stuff. So let me see. In some people's America, too many people's America, if you're poor and you're black, you really don't have a voice because if you're living in those ghetto conditions, you are part of the problem because you're not educated enough. You didn't do the right things to get yourself to a point where your thoughts and opinions can be validated and respected. But then again, if you're black and then you reach a certain mark in terms of financial gain, well, you know, you're too rich. You don't know. You're just a millionaire athlete. No big deal. So your voice doesn't count. So I'm wondering exactly for some of the folks who are out there who are ignorant enough to spuse this type of stupidity, I'm just trying to, let me just go to your world. Let me just go down the stupid world. Let me go to intolerance world. Let me go to racist land. And let me ask you exactly what what are the parameters? What are the uh, uh, qualifications that someone of color might have to voice their opinion? That might be different from yours. What is the, what is the salary ceiling? What is the educational ceiling? What are we talking about? Do you need a bachelor's degree to voice your opinion? Do you need to make 50, 60 grand to voice your opinion? I mean, what career should you have? I mean, what certain job should you have to voice your opinion? White folks who believe in this kind of stuff or just folks who believe in this stuff, I need like a rule book. So I need to make sure because maybe I'm too poor. Maybe I'm too old. I don't know. Maybe I don't know what it is. I mean, I need to make sure that I'm qualified to give my opinion on something about what's happening in my community that you might not, you might not agree with and are too lazy or too bullheaded or just too privileged or just too stupid to try to understand what I'm saying. I need to see your rule book to make sure that I have the right to go ahead and voice my opinion and make sure that if I do voice my opinion concerning this, that... It is valid. So I, I just need to know. So if somebody out there could send me the rule book in terms of dealing with that, I would really much appreciate that. So, yeah, Bradley Beal retweeted a tweet from the piece of shit that's in the White House right now talking about uh, the same people who did the same actions since these domestic terrorist thugs did what they did did on Wednesday. In fact, this is from your Grand Fuhrer. This is from your white supremacist leader. He said, anarchists, agitators, or protesters who vandalize or damage our federal courthouse, who damage or our federal courthouse in Portland or any other federal building in our cities or states will be prosecuted under our recently reenacted statutes and, Mon- and monuments act. Minimum 10 years in pre- prison. Don't do it. Hmm. Interesting. Anarchists, agitators, and protesters who vandalized or damaged our federal courthouse in Portland or any federal building in any of our cities or states will be prosecuted under our recently reenacted Statues of Monuments Act. Ten years minimum in prison. Damn. Hmm. Interesting. Now, I, I'm quite sure with all of those all of those anti-Semitic, anti-racist, or excuse me, anti-Semitic racist thugs, those domestic terrorists who did what they did, for those people to be arrested 
and then put in prison for 10 years. I mean, do we even have enough room in the prison system? Because according to your grandfeur, according to your racist leader-in-chief, I thought Mexico, who sends all of their rapists and their criminals in the worst of the worst, I thought Mexico sent all of their worst of the worst up here to the United States. Now, is it a situation where here in the racist, divided, ignorant states of America, do we take them in and then what? We just put them in democratic cities and let them run amok? Or do we put them in prison? Yep. Again, you're going to have to let me know because I'm just, I'm just confused here because Mexico is sending us their worst. So let me see. what Are they all in Los Angeles? Are they all in Chicago? Are they all in D.C.? Are they all in Miami? Are they all in... I mean, you need the guys... You guys need to let me know. You, you, you patriots who are driving around in your uh, four-wheelers with your don't-tread-on-me uh, flags, you guys got to let me know exactly what do we do with these Mexicans when they come to the border, when Mexico sends us the rapists and the criminals and everything. I need to let them, I need to, I need to find out. Because when you motherfuckers go to prison for what you did for 10 years, I mean, are you going to be in the same cell with those guys? I, I just, I would just like to know. So, former NFL wide receiver Roddy White, formerly of the Falcons, he tweeted, America's showing they ass today. Only in this country can white people storm a capital and nobody gets hurt. But my black ass can walk down the street and get killed. American media, job well done. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, you have to realize, you have to realize, Roddy, that I mean, you know, hey, it, you know, it's just, it's, it's just a situation where, you know, it's, it's you, you go into a certain neighborhood and you know you're dealing with a certain group of people and you know the, these things are going to happen. You you need to start listening to those who know us better than ourselves. I mean, you know, you need to know those basket, those people with the bat, with the knowledge of black folks who are even more knowledgeable about our culture than we are. I mean, such luminaries as Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh and Tucker Carlson and Lou Dobbs and Bill O'Reilly. And I mean, those folks, I mean, they'll set you straight. They'll set you straight. They'll let you know exactly what black folks should be doing, what we're like, what we should be doing to those type of things. Because they know more about us than we do about ourselves. And isn't that amazing? The Sean Hannity's, they, they, they know a lot more about us than uh, they do, than we do. So per usual, it was nice to see a good number of folks. Look, the, the NFL season is over, so a lot of the NFL players are out doing other things. So... They don't have the platform right now to go ahead and voice their opinion, thoughts, and opinions. They don't have another game to play. Even though it would be nice this wild card weekend if the players did something in terms of kneeling or doing something during the national anthem to show their displeasure and their embarrassment about what happened on Wednesday, taking a kneel, knee, raising a fist, uh, locking arms, showing some type of unity. In that regard, doubt that they will, but it would, it would be a nice gesture. It would be a nice thing to do. So, per usual, most of the people expressing their outrage about what happened, their disgust, their displeasure, their disbelief about what happened on Wednesday were black NBA and NFL players. James Harden said he didn't see what was happening when he asked to comment about it. I guess with James, I guess, you know, being in the strip club, I guess they don't have TVs turned to... Uh, what happened? I mean, I guess being in the clubs in Atlanta and uh, Vegas, I guess during that time he didn't have the opportunity to go ahead and see what was what was happening uh, in in that situation. I mean, I, I guess 
you know, some things are just a little bit more important. I mean, you know, when you got to go to a baby shower and when you got to go out and hang and, and party and all those type of things, I mean, you know, the worries of the world really can't uh, be dealt with right now. But you know what? That's his prerogative. That's his prerogative. You know, if he doesn't, I'm quite sure he's aware of it, but I don't know. Maybe if he feels that uh, he comments on it, that that's a way for him to be shot down or to be criticized or something like that. So I'll, I'll say James Harden saying that he didn't see what was happening as a comment, that's just him saying no comment. I really don't feel about, I really don't feel like expressing my thoughts and feelings. But he's aware. I'm going to go on the assumption. I wasn't there, but I'm going to go on the assumption that he's aware of what's happening. And I'm quite sure for a lot of white folks, right? And, and, and black folks and other folks, aren't you guys happy about that, right? Because after all, I mean, he's just some millionaire athlete. What does he know about anything? All he needs to do is just shut up and dribble. So that's what James is doing. He's just shut up, shutting up and dribbling. So you guys should be happy. You guys should be like, James Harden is my man. More people need to be like James Harden. Didn't see what was happening. Next, let's talk about basketball. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, these millionaire athletes from these ghettos, that's all they know about. All they can do is shoot and dribble anyway. I mean, what do they know about what's going on in the world? Yeah, yeah. So... Kevin Love, big special dedication to Kevin Love, one of the few white NBA players who said something. And this is not to say that the uh, white NBA players were like, eh, big deal, moving on. I'm quite sure that those guys had conversations with uh, their black teammates and white teammates and black coaches and white coaches about what happened and their strength and conditioning coaches and other employees within that group to talk about what happened. And they were open-minded. I'm quite sure a lot of them, not all, but I'm quite sure a lot of them were open-minded enough to listen and give their thoughts and opinions and, and that type of thing. So that's, that's good enough. I mean, just because you're an athlete doesn't mean you have to run on Twitter every single time. Or that also doesn't mean that just because you don't go on Twitter, I'm just going to go in on the assumption that you just don't care and you're out there cheering it on. No, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that at all. But Kevin Love, I'm glad that he went to social media and he tweeted, an absolute disgrace what's happening at the U.S. Capitol right now and a blatant example of inequality in how law enforcement chooses to deal with those involved. Nice job. Nice job. Hardly anything, of course, from Major League Baseball. Francisco Lindor gets traded to the Mets, and all of a sudden everybody goes on lockdown when it, when it comes to real-world real issues. So nothing from NASCAR, the PGA, NHL, Major League Baseball. Nothing. Nothing from Tom Brady. Surprisingly, nothing from Tiger Woods, right? Yeah, surprise, surprise. Nothing from Jordan, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Sidney Crosby. Nothing from those guys. I I'm not saying again that those guys were sitting around going, yeah, I love it, yeah, this is awesome. Way to go, Trump 24 and 28, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying those guys were doing it at all. But would have been nice. And Tom Brady didn't have to come out and say, you know, being a white man today, I am the lowest form of, Human being walking, and I'm disgraced, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not asking Tom Brady to do all that. I'm just, it would have been like, hey, you know what? Can we have peace, or praying for those in the area, or, you know, hope everybody's great, or, you know, we shall overcome. I don't know. Something, something, something not, something vanilla. I mean, Tiger could have said something vanilla, but, I mean, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. So I, I appreciate Steve Kerr. Greg Popovich didn't say anything just yet. I don't. Maybe he, maybe uh, he did, and I just didn't hear it. But I was kind of looking for any pop tweets to uh, or pop uh, comments 
to uh, put in my put in my uh, show today in terms of what he said about it. But uh, you know, I haven't heard anything from him yet. Don't know if he is. Don't know if he isn't. But um, we already know where he stands. He's 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 welcome to the barbecue. So uh, yeah, there we go, man. So it's just the way of the world moving forward. Now let's talk about a little Deshaun Watson. Dr. King's goals are quite different from yours. He believes in integration, complete well, integration of society. Is if, that if, if integration, no, well, that's where Dr. King is mixed up. Uh, his goal should be the solution of the problem of the black man in America. Now, not integration. Integration is the method toward obtaining that goal. And what the Negro leader has done is gotten himself wrapped up in the method and has forgotten what the goal is. The goal is the, is the, is the, dignity of the black man in America. He wants respect as a human being. He wants recognition as a human being. Now, if integration will get him that, all right. If segregation will get him that, all right. If separation will get him that, all right. But after he gets integration and he still doesn't have this dignity and this uh, recognition as a human being, then his problem is still not solved. Well, isn't this exactly what Dr. King is looking towards? And that is the day when the Negro will be treated with dignity. Wasn't this, after all, the result of the Montgomery bus boycott? No, because uh, I don't think you can, uh, having an opportunity to ride either on the front or the back or in the middle of someone else's bus doesn't dignify you. When you have your own bus, then you have dignity. When you have your own school, you have dignity. When you have your own country, you have dignity. When you have something of your own, you have dignity. But whenever you are begging for a chance to participate in that which belongs to someone else or use that which belongs to someone else on an equal basis with the owner, that's not dignity, that's ignorance. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A momentous week in the history of the world in our country. 2021, how about that, huh? Yeah, y'all thought 2020 was over with. The nonsense, the bullshit, the ridiculousness was over with. Shit, what are you talking about, man? How long you been living in this world? Come on now. But uh, that is mainly the end of my talk concerning that still going to be sprinkling my Malcolm and uh, some of the music that was kind of moving me when I was putting this together uh, yesterday in terms of uh, letting the uh, letting the topic linger in terms of what happened on Wednesday in this capital in the capital of my country and once again showing the inequality the difference uh, what's going on, what's going down. So it's going to be, from now on, I want to, first of all, I want to thank you for allowing me to go ahead and uh, give you my thoughts and feelings about that. Very therapeutic. I hope, I hope a certain group of people didn't take it too harshly. I love everybody who loves me. 
I love everybody who wants to do right. I love everybody who loves good and just and what's right. And it's all about love, peace, unity, harmony, understanding, respect. I love anybody like that. I don't give a damn who you are. I don't care what race you are. I don't care age group, where you live. I don't give a damn what country, part of the country, what part of the world you're from. I don't give a damn, man. If you're down with me and what I want to do, and what I want to do is to have unity and love and happiness and togetherness and that type of thing. If you're down with that, hey, man, I've got no problems with you. But if you're not, then, you know, I have to uh, have a little issue with you. And if I see a weakness in terms of your personality or something like that, in terms of you not fulfilling your your potential to be the best human you can be in terms of loving and understanding one another, I'm going to call you out on it. And if it hurts your feelings, well, well, I mean, you know, hey, you're a big boy or girl. You can you can handle it. As I tell the kids, don't worry, you'll you'll live, you'll 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 hang in there. And what I also like to tell people, you know, if uh, if uh, you know whatever doesn't hurt you, only makes you stronger. So there you go. All right, Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. Yours truly, Wendell Wallace, speaking with you, Deshaun Watson, Mister Watson, might be asking for a trade. This is a story posted by Pro Football Talk, Mike Florio. He said, rumors are already circulating and Florio has heard from multiple different people that Watson has quietly broached with teammates the possibility of requesting a trade. And this is less than four months after he signed with a $156 million contract extension with the Texans. Who does this guy think he is? You think he's playing in the NBA? Already asking for a trade after just signing a huge contract? Jeez. So based on the signing, because so you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, man. I mean, how the hell? We're up here talking about the 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 twisting gymnastics that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to have to do if they want to trade Carson Wentz, and he's a couple of years into his contract worth 128 million dollars. How in the world is Deshaun Watson willing to be traded or asking to be traded? There ain't no way with that contract extension he's going to be able to be traded, right? 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 Well, based on the contract bonus in this contract, according to Florio, the tax hit for the Texans would be somewhere around $21 million. And if you're speaking about the possibility of what a Deshaun Watson type of uh, deal could bring for you, I mean, you're the Houston Texans and Cal McNair, you know, you'll pay that 21 mil. Shit, you gave more than that to the uh, Trump uh, re-election fund. You can find some dollars and cents to uh, go ahead and uh, do that, so... This look. This may be a strategic effort to ensure that Watson is part of the uh, process in terms of hiring the coach and everything like that. So this might all be a ploy. We don't know. Deshaun had to come out and basically said, "Get me out of here." There hasn't been any, you know, uh, you know, smoke around the fire that's saying, "Well, you know, he's doing that." Now there has been reports that he hasn't returned any of the uh, calls from the ownership. I mean, you know, read. Reading into that, as you will, the season just ended. Um, there was some broken promises, though, by the ownership concerning Watson's involvement in hiring a new coach. So maybe that's something where he's like, you know what, man? I was trying to go ahead. And, I mean, you did the thing with Bill O'Brien in terms of giving him the GM position. All right, wasn't too th- keen on that, but... I was still establishing myself as an NFL player, so, you know, I really didn't have too much sway to sit up there and be like, this is bullshit. 
So, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I lived with that. I lived with the disrespect of my main man, DeAndre Hopkins, getting traded. And I found out, find out about it on Twitter. You guys didn't even have the courtesy to give me a call to be like, hey, look, man, uh, you know, uh, just give you a heads up. We're, uh, we're going to be trading DeAndre Hopkins. Could you, you know, stay off Twitter or social media or something? I know that you're going to be upset and want to rip us, but could you just kind of like, you know, just curb your your passion for that for just a little bit? I mean, we are giving you a call to let you know, to give you a heads up. So at least we're showing you that kind of respect. I mean, even in that situation, finding out on Twitter that Hopkins was traded for the package that they got, Watkins is, Watson's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be cool. Ah. They could also say, hey, man, we traded the first round pick to give you a, a left tackle. Because if you remember the first couple of years you were in the league as a quarterback for us, you were getting killed. Because our offensive line stunk out loud. So at least we're doing everything we can to protect you that way. So even though we trade your boy Hopkins, don't go nuts on us. I'm thinking that we're, you know, we're, 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 Disrespecting you or something, and besides, how long have you been? How long have you been in the league? Mm-hmm. Not yet, not yet. You don't got Aaron Rodgers type of clout yet. No, no, you don't have Russell Wilson type of clout yet. No, 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 no. You don't have. Well, Tom Brady didn't have the clout that he should have had because Bill Belichick all the, had all the clout in that uh, locker room and with that organization. So it wasn't like Brady was going to come out and be like, "Man, they traded West Wes Walker." Man, what the fuck is Belichick doing? Belichick doing, motherfucker. Now, so he wasn't going to be doing all that kind of stuff. At least to the media. So it's like, hey, Deshaun, how many championships have you won for us? Uh-huh. Let's just calm down on the, you know, on the on the you know chest bumping here in terms of what's going on with our organization. But now, after everything that Watson has been through, hey, man, I don't blame him if he came out and said, you know what, man, fuck this bullshit. Get me out of here. I'm done. I'm done. You screwed me with Hopkins. You, you, we're going to be drafting third in the um, upcoming draft. Oh, I'm sorry. No, we're not. Miami is. So I don't know exactly when we're going to get better. I don't know exactly how we're going to get better. And I'm 25 years old. I'm in my prime, and I'm a top five quarterback being wasted. I mean, I hear everybody talking about Josh Allen, Josh Allen. I hear people talking about Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. I hear everybody talking about, oh, Aaron Rodgers and Russell, Russell Wilson. Meanwhile... I'm just as good. I don't know how he can make an argument for Rodgers or Mahomes this year if he wanted to, but I'm quite sure his ego's like, well, shit, man, I'm just as good as those motherfuckers. I'm sitting up here, Watson, I'm sitting up here in the, um, you know, with a 4-11 and and 1 record. Meanwhile, Mahomes is going to the playoffs again to win himself possibly another championship. Aaron Rodgers is going into the playoffs again. Josh Allen, the guy who I beat last year in the wild card, his team is ascending and going into the uh, playoffs again. And now he's getting all the love and satisfaction like he's Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin satisfaction. And or, No, sorry, that's respect. Never mind. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm up here doing this bullshit. Man, get me the fuck out of here, this, that, and the other. So I can understand it. I can understand it. So the story here by Albert Green of SI.com. Watson has been trying to get uh, Kansas City's offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy to be the next head coach. That's who he wants. And the Texans have suggested that they'll listen to Deshaun when hiring a coach. So he's like, well, cool. You know what? I heard some really good things from Mahomes. He put in a strong word about Bieniemy. So that's who I want. 
But unfortunately, Tex- the Texans became the only team with a vacancy not even to interview the enemy. <laughs> so it's like, I really, really want this guy. You're going to include me in the uh, selection process. And the one guy that I want the most, you're not going to even bring in for an interview? Jeez, man, really? So according to a report from Adam Schefter of ESPN, the deal is, is that, look, Watson met with Texans owner Cal McNair several times, sharing the thoughts on certain candidates who came highly recommended. And from that group, Watson suggested that, you know what? I think the enemy is going to be the guy. Now, Watson is not expecting Houston to be like, oh, okay, well, then screw it. Let the, the interview process is over. Let's go ahead and hire him because Deshaun wants him to. That, because Deshaun wants that guy. It's not that at all. He's not saying that at all. He was just hoping that the Texans would respect the feelings of the group of teammates that he was trying to represent. So this is not even something where Deshaun is going up to the organization and saying, well, I want this guy. And for the rest of the locker room, I really don't give a fuck. I mean, he basically did his due diligence and asked around and got thoughts and opinions of several key players. And he's like, look, the consensus is, along with myself, that Eric Bieniemy would be the guy that you should really be interested in, that you should really pay attention to. And the Texans not only, again, didn't give him the time of day, didn't even give the guy an interview. So it's like, okay, so, huh. Again, Watson is like, I, I, don't, I don't understand what's going on. Even if they didn't move forward with any of his recommendations, he just wanted to have the opportunity to meet with the ownership finalists so he could offer thoughts from a player's perspective and a standpoint that benefit the team. And then after that, he, the Texans could take his thoughts and feelings and information and help them better hire a uh, football coach that was the same thing with the general manager he didn't have the opportunity to uh go ahead and interview any of those guys either or at least sit on the interviews or at least you know kind of give his thoughts and opinions about it so he's extremely unhappy that's a report he's extremely unhappy with the organization regarding his lack of involvement in the process that led to uh the gm nick casario of new england being hired and now the snub of of uh, Eric Bieniemy as even a potential head coach. Again, Deshaun is not saying that if you guys don't hire who I want you guys to hire, that I'm going to you know go ahead and, and go James James Harden without the uh, irresponsibility or or unprofessionalism. He didn't say that at all. It's just like man, you know what? I mean, if you could just like you know kind of take some of my advice, and my advice is coming also from the team that it would be appreciated and and. Um, Basically, Houston is saying just shut up until passes. So we'll see what happens. So as I mentioned before, he found out that this boy DeAndre Hopkins was getting traded by Twitter. Oh man, just just come on, man. So Houston went four and twelve this season, not four and eleven and one. There was only what who won? Who won? Cincinnati had a tie and somebody else had a tie. I forget, but uh, I think it was uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia and Cincinnati had a tie. They were the only two teams. So my mistake. The Texans went four and twelve. Started the season 0-4, and that's when Bill O'Brien had to go. They lost at Kansas City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. So maybe the league was upset that uh, O'Brien traded the, uh, Hopkins for the amount that he got coming back. So they started the season 0-4. Their record was 1-6 before they went ahead and won three or four games. Now, in all, you know, in all fairness, they beat New England, Detroit, and Jacksonville. Not murderers row, but hey, three out of four, three out of four. But then they ended the season losing five straight. And the defense gave up 33 points a game during those five games. And a couple of those, those losses 
quickly off the top of my mind, like the one against Tennessee, ridiculous. So, moving forward, I don't know, man. They have the third worst record in the league, but they don't have their first-round draft pick, as I mentioned before, because at the beginning of the 2019 season, Bill O'Brien and all of this genius and all of this desperation to try and save Deshaun Watson's life because the offensive line for those guys stunk out loud, went ahead and traded for Laramie Tunzel, who's a good left offensive tackle. I mean, he's not a bust or anything, but, I mean, you gave up a first-round first round draft pick. Now, I'm quite sure O'Brien was thinking, well, you know, with Laramie Tunzel as the offensive tackle, I mean, who in the draft is going to be better coming up than this guy in the next couple of years? And if we can keep Deshaun upright in some of the pieces that we have, we have J.J. Watt, and we have DeAndre Hopkins, and we have Deshaun and these guys, that um, by the time the 2020 draft rolls around, we'll be in a position to where that pick is not going to kill us, the fact that we had to give that up. I'm quite sure that he wasn't imagining that that would be the third worst in the league, but it is what it is. So instead of him picking, or instead of um, Houston picking and getting themselves a quality player, maybe picking up Jamar Chase or picking up this kid, uh, this tackle from Oregon or, or whoever, someone to um, help their defense, now. Nah. That pick is now going to Miami. Okay. And the Texans will be entering the 2021 offseason $20 million over the salary cap. So they can't even go ahead and get themselves any type of players that can help them. So, you know, it is what it is. And I think Deshaun is seeing all that. And he's like, man, I I don't know. I I really don't know. So what do you think? You think he's going to be staying? You think he's going to be going? What would you do if you were Deshaun? Once again, I would very professionally and quietly tell my agent to uh, go ahead and don't make this shit public. Don't make this shit public, but I'm just saying. Let them know that I'm open for a trade. I really am. Now, where we go from there will be anybody's guess. Don't bullshit me now. If I'm Deshaun, it's like, don't bullshit me. Don't sit around. If I want to be traded, you better try hard and long to see what you can do about trading me. Don't sit there and be like, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that as soon as possible with the hope that I might calm down or the hope that I might change my mind or something like that. Now, if you do your due diligence and you try to come up with something and I take a look at it because I have a no trade clause in my contract and I take a look at that and I say, yeah, you know what? I might as well stick around with you guys. I got some guys in the locker room. I love the city and this is where I started my career. So, all right, if you guys can somehow kind of promise me that we can start turning this thing around in a couple of years while I'm still in my physical prime, not yet reaching my prime as a quarterback in terms of both the physical and the mental parts, by 28, when I'm there, by the time 29, while I'm, when I'm there, okay, okay. But don't bullshit me. Don't be sitting there and tell them, don't disrespect my wishes because then I will go James Harden. Then I will go public and talk about get me the hell out of here and we're speaking about what every team outside of kansas city buffalo seattle green bay maybe the chargers the rest of the squad the rest of the um teams in the nfl you don't think they'd be interested in deshaun watson i could you imagine if deshaun was really on the trading block shit teams like new england new orleans atlanta the giants Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, Indianapolis, Frank Reich, Denver, John Elway trying to save his legacy, bringing in a quarterback. You don't think that they would try to move heaven and earth to try to get the uh, try to get Watson? The New York Jets, 
If you're a Jet fan, would you? If you're Joe Douglas, would you trade the number two pick for Deshaun? Would you trade the number two pick and multiple draft picks, future draft picks for Deshaun Watson? Because they have four first round picks over the next two years, an additional third round pick in 2021, and every pick in every round in 2022. So if the if the Texans are looking for a bevy of picks. And on that squad, you don't have anybody there worth a damn. I mean, what you're not going to trade. If you're in a Texas, you're not going to trade for Sam Darnold to be your starting quarterback. You're going to use that number two pick to get yourself Justin Fields, aren't you? So I would think that, you know, the only, the only um, advantage or the only thing that the Jets could offer of any value would be draft picks. So if we're speaking about New York giving them the... Two first-round picks, the third-round pick in 2021, and then three or four picks in 2022. If that was the deal to get Deshaun Watson and you're running the Jets, would you do it? Now, you have to remember, Watson would have to agree to the deal, number one. he You don't have to worry about signing him or extending his contract. He's already there. But we've already seen, just like any other quarterback, living, dying, before or since, who's played quarterback in the NFL, no matter how great he is, that this isn't basketball. Now, you can't LeBron James your franchise in terms of getting one guy and then all of a sudden your mediocre squad becomes awesome or becomes championship material. Putting Deshaun Watson from, taking Deshaun Watson and putting him, taking him from one crappy team and putting him on another crappy team doesn't mean that he's going to elevate that team to compete with the Kansas City's and the Green Bay's and the New Orleans and the Buffaloes of the world. If it's just Deshaun Watson and the group of players that's on the New York Jets right now. So if you send all of your draft picks over to the Houston, Texas, and then get Deshaun Watson, well, that's a good starting point. But what did that leave you with? If you're going to basically give everything away for Deshaun Watson. So... Again, if you're the Jets, do you just sit back and say, no, we're going to see what we can do with trade, either keeping Sam Darnold, trading Sam Darnold. I'm quite sure what Justin Fields does in the um, championship game on Monday is going to go a long way in terms of the Jets deciding what they're going to do, either drafting a quarterback, moving down by trading the pick and picking up a bevy of picks so they can rebuild their team that way. We'll see. We'll see. But Deshaun Watson, that that will be something really, really interesting for the offseason. For the um, for the uh, National Football League, so you get in there intertwined with free agency and the uh, draft in the, in the uh, 2021 draft. So, man, I wish my Washington football team do everything humanly possible to get him. Nobody on that team is shouldn't be untradeable when it comes to Deshaun Watson. That's including Chase Young. I mean, am I willing to give up a generational pass rusher for Deshaun Watson if I'm the Washington football team? Yeah. I mean, Chase Young is awesome, but it's harder to find a franchise quarterback than it is to find a premium defensive uh, pass rusher. Both are important, but we all know that the quarterback is the most important player on that team. And at least with the uh, football team, at least with Washington, you, you have some, some talent, a little bit of talent on the offensive side of the football. And you still have some pretty good defensive uh, uh, defensive lineman if you would have to go that route. But, I mean, that's 
something where I don't know what the draft picks are for, for Washington. I mean, I'm quite sure if I'm Houston, I would ask for Washington's pick at 19. I would ask for Chase Young, and then let's let's talk after that. But if you're not going to give me Chase Young in your first round pick, then there's no need even, there's no need for even us having this conversation. So, which is also important, which is also why when I was talking about how disappointed I am that Washington made the playoffs and the fact that they would have had the tenth pick if they didn't make the playoffs. Now they're down to the nineteenth pick. So tomorrow, when they lose to Tampa Bay, if they lose to Tampa Bay, what does it mean? It weakens our position to possibly getting ourselves the top five quarterback in the NFL, who, old, who, by the way, is only 25 and still hasn't reached his peak yet, who in a couple of years could be the number two quarterback in the league, only behind Patrick Mahomes. And that includes Josh Allen. So, yeah, why was I upset that Washington won that football game on Sunday night against Philadelphia to win the NFC least at 7-9? What big fucking whoop de doo damn deal. We just lessened our chances if the opportunity comes to uh, pick up someone like Deshaun Watson. So, yeah, man, Deshaun Watson on the trading block, possibly, maybe, for teams like New England, Denver, San Francisco. Ooh, him and Cal Shanahan together. Ooh, him and Frank Wright together. Ooh, so teams like that, New Orleans, him and Sean Payton together. Ooh, yeah, it would make for quite, quite an interesting offseason if Deshaun Watson calls out and says, please help me, time for me to be traded. If uh, the white people really passed meaningful laws, it would not be necessary to pass any more laws. There are already enough laws on the law books to protect an American citizen. You only need uh, additional laws when you're dealing with someone who is not regarded as an American citizen. But whites are so hypocritical. They don't want to admit that this black man is not a citizen. Uh, so they classify him as a, a second-class citizen to, uh, to get around uh, making him a real citizen. If he was a real citizen, you'd need no more laws. You'd need no civil rights legislation. Uh, civil rights, uh, when you have civil rights, you have citizenship. It's automatic. White people don't need laws to protect their citizenship because they're citizens. But they, want, they, uh, they don't want to tell us we're not citizens. And at the same time, they don't want to pass laws that are meaningful enough to protect us as if we were citizens. And the Supreme Court desegregation decision is the best example I know. That's a law from the Supreme Court. Ten years have gone by. No, no desegregated schools. It hasn't been implemented beyond, I think, 9% in ten years. So this just shows you the hypocrisy of the American white man. They talk out of both sides of their mouth. We don't believe that black people will ever get any laws, get any problem with laws being passed or uh, new persons being put in office, uh, white liberals being put in office. There is nothing that the white man will ever do to bring about uh, true, sincere uh, citizenship or civil rights recognition for black people in this country. Nothing will they ever do. They will always talk it, but they won't practice it. And uh, with the Supreme Court, if the NAACP can tell me that they want a desegregation decision for me uh, 10 years ago, but yet the schools haven't been desegregated, as I say, this is a victory with no victory. Uh, it's a victory that you can talk about, but it's a victory you can't show me. So if you represent the NAACP and you are telling me about this great victory you won for me, when I look at you, I have to... 
conclude that either you have been duped yourself or else you are trying to dupe me. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Interesting how those words from Malcolm and the music so resonates and is so intertwined and so relevant today as it was 50-something years ago, over 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Interesting. Very interesting. All right, the NCAA championship game, the football championship game between the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Number one, yes, we will absolutely have a game. Do not worry about it. Ohio State coach Ryan Day said on Thursday that his team is on track to play in the college football uh, national championship against Alabama. Despite ongoing coronavirus issues, Day said the Buckeyes would have plenty of players, quote-unquote, Plenty of players available without providing specific number or player updates. So, I don't know who's supposed to be missing. I'm quite sure if it was someone of great importance that somehow, some way, it would have leaked out. But Ohio State's going to need all the healthy players that they can get to go up against Alabama, especially if you're talking about on defense. I don't know, man. The game has changed so much to sit there and say, well, this offense is the best offense of all time based on these numbers. The game, the way the game has changed and the rules and everything, it's hard to quantify who is the best, who is the greatest offense, defense, and all of this stuff throughout the years. But I will say this, and you will say this too. Your friend will say this. Your husband will say this. Your wife will say this. And your kids will say this. And your stepson will say this. And your... X will say this, Alabama on offense is, uh, wow, <laughs> they are, they are uh, awesome, if I can say that, ranked second nationally in points per game, averaging 48, 48, 48 points per game in the SEC, not the Big 12, 48 points a game in the SEC West, the best, supposedly, conference in college football. They scored more touchdowns, 77. Than any other team in our tie for first with BYU in the most yards per play, averaging almost eight yards per game. And only twice this year has Alabama scored fewer than 40 points. And the lowest that they scored, 31, came uh, against uh, Notre Dame, a game in which they won handily. And basically after the uh, third quarter, they were like, yeah, all right, man, let's kind of like do Smokey Robinson and cruising together. So... How about this? Jaden Waddle might also play in a championship game. I doubt if he will. It would be amazing if he will. And even if he did, what type of impact that he had. Um, Thursday, Saban said that his status remains quote-unquote up in the air. So Waddle has practiced this week, and it'll be a game-time decision. All right. So, I mean, so, of course, being smart, Saban's not going to go out there and be like, yeah, he's not playing. I'm just joking with y'all course put that in Ohio State's mind that there's a possibility that he might be playing and the fact that he practiced even lends more credence to the possibility that yes he might practice excuse me he might play in this 
will be a game-time decision. If you remember Alabama fans, college football fans, that Waddle suffered a combination high ankle sprain and fracture of his ankle against Tennessee in mid-October, and everybody's talking about Devonta Smith and all these other guys, man. As far as the most draftable player, the highest-rated player for NBA scouts, and the guy who was kicking ass to begin the season, it wasn't the Heisman Trophy winner. Congratulations to Devonta Smith. Devontae Smith, excuse me. It was Jaden Waddle. Opened the season with at least 120 yards receiving in each of his first four games, and he led Alabama with 557 yards and just... 25 catches and four touchdowns. Yeah. So even if this is a situation where Waddle is going to be doing nothing but running go routes if he does play, I mean, the fact that he's even being mentioned, number one, is unbelievable. The fact that he's fractured his ankle in October and in November, December, going on now less than three months, less than two and a half months, he's going to be trying to play in a championship game or that he's even out there doing anything. I've never fractured my ankle, thank goodness. But I can imagine that I'm not going to be doing any type of physical activity two months later, eight weeks later, ten weeks later. So, oh, the advantage of God-given youth at that age in terms of uh, his athleticism and the genes and the gifts that God's give, give, given him, Lord have mercy. So, that's another situation for Ohio State to have to deal with. And we're speaking about that offense on Ohio on on. Uh, Alabama, not only do they have a strong offensive line, it's backing three of probably the top 10 players in college football. Eh, I don't know enough about linebackers, special teams guy, offensive, defensive linemen, but at least on the offensive side of the football, skill positions, Matt Jones, Devonta Smith, and Najee Harris. Yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Jones, who many people, everybody talks about Alabama, five-star, five-star, five-star. Max Jones was a three-star recruit. This wasn't this generational. This wasn't Trevor Lawrence going to Alabama. But in this junior year, Max Jones, who was supposed to be sitting the bench for five-star Bryce Young at the modern day, who was supposed to be the, the um, freshman sensation, the number one rated QB, or at least uh, dual threat QB, in the 2021 recruiting class. He was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to be the starter for Alabama uh, hold on, Mac Jones said. No, I'm going to go ahead and throw for over 4,000 yards with 36 touchdowns and four interceptions and tell Bryce Young to kiss my junior ass because I'm not giving up the spot for no freshman this season. Went out there and performed. He was great. Turned himself into a um, guy who, if he declares, is going to be a uh, first-round draft pick. Someone's going to reach for this guy. So, Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Daddy Jones getting it done. Devonta Smith, we already talked about him winning the Heisman Trophy, he enters the game with 105 receptions, oof, over 1,600 yards, damn, 22 total touchdowns, damn, in 12 games, damn, has multiple receiving scores, has, has uh, multiple receiving scores in six of the last seven games, and he's had at least 130 receiving yards in each of those six contests, wow, and Ohio State's a little bit shaky on the secondary, Okay, Najee Harris ran for 1,387 yards, a six yards per carry, a nation's best 24 touchdowns, and he combined for 303 yards in Alabama's two wins against Florida in the SEC championship games with 178, and then Notre Dame in the college football uh, semifinals. So, yeah, Najee Harris, 
Devonta Smith, Mac Jones. I mean, that's the squad, man. I mean, that's what Ohio State's going to have to come up with. All throughout the season, Alabama has just been blowing out people. My question is going to be for Ohio State fans, number one, are you going to be able to keep up offensively with them? I know defensively that you did well against Clemson, and Clemson has a pretty strong offense themselves, but Travis ATM, as we found out, didn't match up with uh, Najee Harris as far as the running back position. The gap between them is not wide, but I would still go with Najee Harris at the better Running back, maybe all around back, you could make an argument for ETN, but running back, it would be Najee Harris. Mac Jones, of course, is not Trevor Lawrence, but Trevor Lawrence missed some time with COVID-related issues. Mac Jones behind an offensive line that's better than Clemson's, performed well all season long. And from the wide receiver position, no doubt about it, that, all, that the Alabama Crimson Tide has a better wide receiving core than Clemson. So for me to be comparing Clemson to Alabama, the only reason why I'm doing that is because if you take a look at what Ohio State did in the national semifinal game against Clemson, to ask them to replicate that and have the type of dominance that they showed against Clemson, against Alabama, that seems to be a little far-fetched and that seems to be a little um, asking to do a little bit too much because, again, if you go by the if you go by the skill positions and if you go by the strength and weaknesses comparing Clemson to Alabama, you'll see that some of the advantages that Ohio State had in a game against Clemson is not going to be there in the game against Alabama, you would think. So because Alabama has a better offensive line than Clemson, don't expect for Ohio State to be putting the type of pressure and having this type of success that they had against Clemson in the semifinal game and putting the hurt on Trevor Lawrence. Don't expect for that secondary to have the same amount of success against Clemson that it had against Alabama, that it had against uh, Clemson that they had against Alabama because of the wide receivers much, much better for the uh, Crimson Tide in that situation. So, and again, where I think Ohio State is just going to have to score. This is not going to be a situation where they're going to try to win a football game 24 to 21 or 28 to 24. I think this is a situation where if they're going to win this football game, they're going to have to score at least 48 to 55 points. For them to win this game. Now Alabama has been a little bit shaky. Sometimes. A few times. On offense this season. They gave up a boatload of points to uh, Mississippi. They gave up 46 points to Florida. In fact the only game. That Alabama was really tested in. Was the SEC championship game. Against Florida. Where they had to recover an onside kick. To guarantee. That they would win that football game. Late in the game. Against the Gators. But. You take a look at what they're doing on offense, you would be foolish to think that Ohio State can hold them to anything under 42 points. When you take a look at some of the games of interest for Alabama in which they played ranked teams, they beat Texas A&M, ranked number 13 at the time, 52-24. to Then they beat Georgia, 41-27, uh, 41-24. Now in that situation, Georgia was, was without JT Daniels. But yet a very good Georgia defense. Alabama hung 41 on them. And then they beat Auburn 42-13 in a game that wasn't that close when Auburn was ranked 22nd in the country. So again, I'm taking a look at Ohio State. I'm taking a look at their prospects to win. I'm taking a look at what avenues they need to go down to win. Justin Fields is going to have to have the type of impact for his team on Monday that Vince Young had for Texas against USC 
in the 2006 Rose Bowl. Now, I'm not expecting... I'm not expecting Fields to run for 200 yards like Young did against USC, but what I am doing is taking a look and seeing that and trying to see an avenue for Ohio State winning this game as in Justin Fields being the best player on the field when he's out there. Alabama has some studs on defense, but it's got to be a situation where, as great as they are, they will be unable to to stop Justin Fields. Uh, Olive... Chris Olive is going to be able to help him out in that department. I like the way that Fields was throwing to his tight ends. All I think half of his touchdown passes against Clemson were thrown to tight ends. So it's going to have to be a Herculean effort. And of course, you need some help also. I mean, we're speaking about someone like Trey Sermon, who, I don't know, is becoming like the Ezekiel Elliott, what he was in 2014-15, whenever Ohio State won that first championship for Urban Meyer at Ohio State. He needs to have a game where he's going to be running for 150 yards. So we're looking for Justin Fields to maybe not duplicate the 22 of 28 for 385 yards and six touchdowns that he did that he had against Clemson, but he's got to at least do for 350. He's got to at least throw four or five touchdown passes, and then on the running side of the football. Trey, Trey Sermon is going to have to go for at least 150 in a couple of TDs, I think, for Ohio State to have a chance. And, I mean, did Ohio State basically shoot its wad against Clemson in terms of we, no one saw that coming. There was no evidence during the season for Ohio State that they were going to be able to play that well and to be that dominant on either side of the ball. We take a look at the two best teams that Ohio State played this year. They looked nothing like that before the Clemson game. Yeah, they were up 35-7 to against the um, Indiana Hoosiers, but Fields threw a couple of really poor interceptions. The defense allowed uh, Indiana to score 35 points. Now, Indiana has a pretty nice offense, but it doesn't equate to Ohio State. And then in that game against Northwestern, I'm sorry, it was Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game where, again, they look mediocre at best, and if it wasn't for Trey Sermon running for 300 yards, they probably would have lost that game. So what are we going to be looking at here? With this just a one-shining moment for Ohio State, and they're more of the team that played against the uh, Hoosiers and the uh, and Northwestern rather than they did against uh, Clemson, who had some weaknesses that Ohio State could exploit? Who knows? Who knows? But I'll be interested to find out. Kind of hard to really get a good, strong handle on what Ohio State is as a football team this year when they've only played seven games. You have a better understanding of what Alabama's all about, even though, again, I mean, LSU was down this year. Auburn, I think, was a little bit overrated, even though they came into the Iron Bowl, ranked in the top 25. They blew out Tennessee and Arkansas, those guys. So it's not like... Alabama has been facing murderous row week after week after week, but after 11, 12 games, we kind of get a better understanding of what Alabama is compared to Ohio State. So we'll see. And I'm focusing on Justin Fields. Interesting year for this guy. He started off by thinking that he wasn't going to be playing football because of the Big Ten's first uh, announcement that they were going to cancel the season and then because of their gutless weakness They went ahead and uh, started the season. So he went from that to being one of the guys that was 
going to be considered for the Heisman Trophy. I'm quite sure that you could say him and Trevor Lawrence were the two favorites when the season started for them to uh, be uh, winning the Heisman Trophy. And he was rolling right along, and then he had that bad game against Indiana, and then he just kind of kind of left the radar for a little bit and went deeper into the what's going on with this guy and his performance against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. And rightly or wrongly, I think that he was also dinged. I think that he was also nicked in terms of positivity as what happened to Dwayne Haskins with the Washington Haskins. The fact that uh, he, uh, the Dwayne Haskins played so poorly for Washington and there was talk about, well, I mean, you know, that system that he played in at Ohio State, I mean, now if you take a look at it, I mean, he did throw for 50 touchdowns, but if you take a look at what they were doing, really didn't translate very well into uh, what's going down in the NFL. Is that same type of predicament going to happen to Justin Fields, who's playing in the same sort of, uh, same type of system that uh, Haskins was? So, rightly or wrongly, you started hearing that type of noise, so... It was redemption, redemption song without Bob Marley for Justin Fields in that semifinal game against Clemson. So we'll see what happens. He can, he's not going to be passing Trevor Lawrence. I don't give a damn what he does against Alabama. He's not going to be the number one draft pick. The Jaguars are going to draft Trevor Lawrence, but it'll start to uh, start in conversation if he has a great game, win or lose, against Alabama, writing for his uh, future. In that, so can Ohio State repeat the performance they had against Clemson offensively and defensively? Can the Buckeyes' offense keep up with a, with a, with a Alabama on offense? We'll find out. Monday, we will find out. And who be- and and believe that every mention of the word integration by whites, whether it be from the mouth of Kennedy on down to the mouth of the lowest, raggediest white liberal in the street who is beatnik-like involving himself in these integration efforts. If we believed in it, we would integrate and we would fight anybody who got in our way or made any effort whatsoever to stop us from integrating. Mm -hmm. If we really believed that the law of the land, the Supreme Court and other so-called judicial bodies were for real, Uh, when they talked about integration, we would integrate. And knowing that the law was on our side, and any effort we made to demonstrate toward integration, why we would know the law should be on our side, uh, if it's the law of the land. If it is the law of the land, then the demonstrators are within the law, and the uh, uh, discriminators are against the law. Mm -hmm. But to show you the hypocrisy of the law, when Negroes demonstrate for integration, Instead of uh, arresting the discriminators, the law arrests the demonstrators. So this is a foolish move on the part of Negroes. When we see our people being brutalized by white bigots, white racists, uh, we think that they are foolish to allow themselves to be beaten and brutalized and do nothing whatsoever to protect themselves. They are foolish. They, if they should have the right to, de- to defend themselves against any attack made against them by anyone. If a dog is biting a black man, the black man should kill the dog. Whether the, do- the dog is a police dog, a hound dog, or any kind of dog. If a dog is sick on a black man, 
when that black man is doing nothing but trying to uh, take advantage of what the government says is supposed to be his, then that black man should kill that dog or any two-legged dog who sicks the dog on him. From a darker view Night and day Salt and pepper In the earthly stew But the salt Think it tastes better Straight up superior Therefore the flavor Of the pepper's inferior Incorrect though Given some heartburn Level of a devil Better wait your turn And here is one Recollection of imperfection No one should be Judged by complexion Libraries Broken down as lies Buried to force Their beliefs To pilgrims Or hurry Television Tell a live vision A schism Negative realism 435 years to weep Mental death, dumb and blindness Put us to sleep Out of the dark comes light So the first can't be So Armageddon comes like a thief in the night Rednecks flex to my context But in the project Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host, Wendell Wallace So glad that you could be with us Final segment of the podcast Again, I want to thank everybody for Listening to the podcast, I want to thank everybody for giving me the opportunity to share you my thoughts and feelings about what's going on in the world and give you my unique perspective, I guess, in terms of my thoughts and feelings about what's happening, what we can do to get better as a nation, as a country, as a society, as people. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. There's no utopian society. There's no race, community, or whatever that's perfect. We all have our ills. We have, all have our defects. And we all have something that might contribute to the erosion of what our society should be if we're speaking about everybody coming together and such, some more than others. But uh, so, so while I made a reference or I made the comment before when people are asking, what can we black community, brown community, Hispanic community, what can we do to try to improve? I didn't I didn't want to say, look, you know, I mean, we're 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 completely innocent of anything because we're not a monolith. So there's been black folks, there's been Asian folks, there's been folks from other from other communities who have decided to join what happened on Wednesday and thought that that was the right thing to do. There are black folks who are just as stupid and ignorant and racist toward their own just as much as your stereotypical uh, white folks in terms of what uh, is presented from those of the MAGA crowd. There are those black folks from my community who, as far as I'm concerned, should face the same fate as, as I mentioned before, someone from ISIS who is looking, or an outside terrorist, or a foreign terrorist, who comes in and wants to do harm to this country. The same fate should happen to them from my community, same color as me, skin, same skin color. I don't give really, I don't give a fuck. If you go ahead and you're looking to cause destruction and despair to uh, the country that I live in, and to my fellow countrymen, then hell, I don't give a fuck. Then no longer breathe. I want you in a cage or a grave. I'll take either one, preferably a grave. So it doesn't bother me. There's really nothing to do with the skin color with me if you're looking about doing harm to good people. And 
there's a lot more, thank God, there's a lot more good people than there are bad people in this world. Thank goodness for that. And make the equation, I'll get back to sports after I make this example, which I always do. Being a teacher, and teachers know this, you could be in a classroom of arbitrary number. You could be in a classroom of 35 students, 35 eighth graders, 35 middle schoolers going through puberty. How, how big of a nightmare is that, huh? I've lived it. I've seen it. I've been there. So you're speaking about a classroom of 35 kids. 28 of the kids could be awesome. Fantastic. Or they could, 28 of the 35 kids could be either really good to awesome. And that class could just be hell on wheels. That class could just be a complete fucking nightmare. If four of the kids are fucking asshole losers. Who are class clowns. Who are horrible, who are just bad kids. The fact that three or four kids who act up. Out of a classroom of 35, three kids are horrible. Two kids are just bad. And one's just whatever the way the wind blows. And the rest are really good to great. The four or five kids who are awesome, who are awful can take away the fact that 28 of them are fantastic. That's what it's like in this, in this world. The large majority of folks in this country and in this world aren't horrible people. But the ones who really are, are the ones that bring a lot of them down. Or are the ones that bring the society down. So that's what we have to work with. And that's what we have to remember. That what we saw on Wednesday was not indicative of what this country is all about. Now, 70 million people voting for something like that. And I guarantee you, if we redid the election again, that the same amount of people would vote for the person that's in the White House right now. So it wouldn't be even something like that, an insurrection that happened on Wednesday, even for a large majority of people that wouldn't wake them up, wouldn't wake them up enough to be like, oh shit. Woo, dodge the bullet on that one. They were still, because of their ignorance and their selfishness and their stupidity and their racist views, would still go out and vote for the person who told those people to basically go ahead and run amok amongst our country. I mean, in, in, in a way, the guy that told them to do that is the Osama bin Laden of this country. He is the American Osama bin Laden. And we all know how we feel about him. And we all know how we cheered when he met his demise. Well, sorry... The person that's in the White House right now, for me, he's probably a couple of notches higher than Bin Laden. Not that much higher. So, you know, very few can bring a lot of turmoil, strife, and negativity to a whole bunch of people who are doing the right things. I love those who are doing the right things. I absolutely despise those who are not. And it doesn't mean, I don't give a damn what race you are or where you're from or anything like that. On either way. So, there you go. All right, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. NBA, let me give you my thoughts and opinions real quick so I can get out of here because the Pelicans are about to play the Charlotte uh, Hornets. And I want to see LaMelo go up against his brother, Alonzo. And I also want to see what Zion is doing. Zion has um, watched him play a couple of times this year. There are only nine games, ten games into the season. Man, that guy needs to come up with a with a with a move. I mean, he's you, right now. He's he's right now is all about power. It's all about athleticism. It's all about physical strength with this guy. 
I, I don't see a jump shot. I don't see a go-to move. I don't see a drop step. I don't see a jump hook. I don't see fundamentals from this guy yet. I don't see him boxing out offensively. I don't see him crashing the offensive board like he should. I don't see him taking a 15-footer. He's still in that mode where he's in high school and college to where I'm only going to be playing you know, the 40-minute game. I'm playing against guys who I'm physically going to overwhelm, and I can go ball to a wall, and I can you know physically impose my will, and I'll be fine. Zion... And I'm quite sure Stan Van Gundy knows this. David Griffin, he knows this. The players know this. Those who are in the NBA, they know it. Okay, okay. But my point is like, it's like, Zion, this is the NBA, brother. You ain't going to be able to physically overcome or physically dominate these guys like you did in college. Now, I think that athletically, size-wise and athleticism, I don't think you're one of the most unique, you're one of the most unique players that come into the league, maybe since Shaq in terms of how you can use your physicality so dominantly. I mean, you're not 7 feet tall, 320, or you don't have the physical stature of a Shaquille O'Neal just because of your height, but a guy who, I guess, looks like he lost some weight. So I'm guessing he's somewhere around 6'5", 255, 260, of that type of athleticism. I mean, if you ever learn the fundamentals of the game, and again, you never had to because you were so physically dominant, just for the preservation of your game, just for the fact that we're going to try to get 12 to 15 years out of you, and you're not going to be this explosive in year 10. You're not going to be this physically dominant when you're 33, 34 years old and been in the league for 14, 15 years. We've got to somehow start developing some basketball skills. And some basketball fundamentals. We're always so concerned about you losing weight and making sure that's that's copacetic. And it's true. That needs to be done. But I want to see Zion be able to shoot a 15-footer. I want to be able to see Zion use a jab step and then pull up for a 12-footer. I want to see Zion be able to get the ball in the post and shoot a jump hook. I want to see Zion get the ball in the post and shoot a turnaround jumper. I want to see Zion get the ball in the post and do a Kevin McHale up and under. That's eventually what I want to see because eventually that's what you're going to have to rely on instead of just catching the ball, taking a power dribble, and then just trying to yoke on everybody. And it takes some time. It'll take some time. He's only, what, 20, 19, 20 years old, somewhere around there. So it'll take some time. But hopefully by the time he's 23 and 24 and he's, reaching or he's on the journey to reach his level of dominance that many have projected him to uh, get to that yeah he'll develop a 17 foot jumper that he'll develop a back to the basket game we're not asking him to be uh, Kevin McHale and Kevin Garnett from the post we're not asking him to be a a three-point shooter we're not asking him to do any of that but with his physical dominance and everything he's going to have to start incorporating some basketball tools into into his game. And he still hasn't boxed out anybody. He's been in the league now, going on what now. This is the start of his second year. He still hasn't boxed out anybody. Why? Because he's never had to. So those are the things, what I see from Zion Williamson. Williams, excuse me. I'm, I'm taking a look so far. And look, it's nine games. So, I mean, you know, the season just started. But taking a look at the standings in the Eastern Conference, Philadelphia, Orlando, Indiana, top three teams, Boston, the Knicks, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Cleveland. Those are the teams in order. Philadelphia had the best record. They lost to a Kevin Durantless 
Kyrie Irvingless Brooklyn Nets team last night. Good game with um, good game with uh, Dallas and Denver. Luca, I was going to write something about Luca being out of shape and how that might hurt him. Then he went, goes ahead and scores thirty eight. Okay, all right, <laughs> all right. No need to uh, talk about that one. So, uh, but uh, that was a really entertaining game last night. But um, I'm taking a look, you know, at the Eastern Conference. And I'm just taking a look at the league in general. And again, look, teams are trying to fire themselves. Every team has some turnover. So to sit here and say without question, especially when there's no dynasty, uh, um, there's no current dynasty right now. To say, you know, who's the best and who's this, that, and the other is kind of, that's kind of foolish. But I take a look at Philadelphia. I mean, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, I mean, they're, they're doing fine. Ben Simmons still hasn't shot a three-point shot of any type of consistency. I think Orlando's going to come back to the pack. They had the opportunity to play Washington a couple of times and a couple of other teams that really don't play any defense. But, uh, you know, you have Aaron Gordon out there. Is this going to be a situation where going down, if Orlando is going to not be in position, are they going to be looking to trade him possibly at the trade deadline? Big loss with them in terms of Markel Fultz tearing his ACL. So he'll be lost for the uh, remainder of the season. So we really can't get an idea of... uh, what he's going to be about. Indiana still making that transition in terms of how they play basketball with the same personnel, but they seem to be playing better in turn from an offensive standpoint, picking it up a little bit. The scoring for those guys are much higher. Boston trying to tread some water until Kemba Walker comes back, even though Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have been playing well. The New York Knicks, Tom Thibodeau, man. Eventually, Tom Thibodeau is going to wear these guys out. Eventually. But as for right now, he's getting them to play some ball. And the Knicks have some interesting pieces. I wonder how R.J. Barrett is going to strive or thrive under Thibodeau. Julius Randle is averaging 36 minutes a game. Barrett is averaging 38 minutes a game. Those guys, and, and those guys work. When they're on the court, they work. Offensively and more importantly, defensively. There is no James Harden type of uh, accommodations for those who play for Tom Thibodeau, which in which means if you don't play defense, I don't give a fuck if your scoring prowess equals that of Wilt Chamberneasy, you're going to the bench and easy for Tom Thibodeau. He don't play that shit. So those guys play hard, and it's a young team with the Knicks. And I think it's a team that grinds. I think it's a team that likes to grind. I think it's a team that likes to put in the work. Again, my only question Moving forward, and when I say moving forward, I'm not talking about just with this season, but three or four years down the road, how long, Thibodeau had that sort of Scott Skiles in him, to where he's good in the short run, because he's demanding, he don't take no shit, he's going to push you, he's going to challenge you, he's going to challenge your manhood in terms of playing basketball, to try to get the most out of you, and he's going to do that, but when you continuously do that for three or four years, it takes a special individual to keep to keep uh, being uh, cock- to being uh, you know ready for this stuff, and being uh, you know being cool with that. So I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to uh, wear out Barrett and those guys, those young cats, and also how is he going to get along with uh, Leon Rose, the guy who put this team together? Because if you also remember his tenure. And Chicago ended uh, very 
on a very sour note because him Gar Foreman and Gar uh, yeah Gar Foreman and and Paxson they uh, had some uh, disagreements shall we say about uh, damn do we really need to play Jimmy Butler forty five minutes a game every night. Do we really need to play Jimmy Butler after he's played 37 minutes? Do we really need him out there in a 25-point game with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter? Really? I mean, you know, can we, you know, at least give him a little bit of rest? And Thibodeau was like, I coached this team. Go fuck yourself. So we will see what happens. But the Knicks so far have been um, pretty good. I hadn't had an opportunity to watch them play, but Julius Randle is doing well. And Mitchell Robinson, they've got some pieces. They've got some pieces. So even if the Knicks go back to what we thought the Knicks would be, the way some of these guys are playing, it could lead to some um, either draft capital or clearing some space, even though there's really not a big-time free agent coming down the pike, maybe for a couple of more seasons until, you know, someone like a Luca or Trey Young or something like that becomes available. Or you never know. I mean, you know, you know two months from now, Giannis could be asking for a trade, so who knows. So uh, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that's going to be predictable, but, you know, in the NBA, signing a contract extension really doesn't mean too much. See Anthony Davis, see James Harden. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The final segment of the program, the Western Conference, Phoenix, Clippers, Lakers. Lakers had a loss at home against the San Antonio Spurs. San Antonio's playing better. Their young group. I didn't. I didn't even know that um, that was one of the younger teams in the NBA. When you speak about Lonnie Walker and Derek White and Keldon Johnson, Keldon Johnson who went to Kentucky. We got Georgetown got his brother, who stunk out loud. And we got in uh, Kentucky got the better one. But he's doing well for the Spurs right now. Young team, whole change of philosophy of how they play offensively. A lot more get up and go. Lamarcus still the cornerstone. DeMar still a cornerstone, Rudy Gay still providing the offensive punch and the veteran leadership. The uh, Spurs have a pretty nice team, very enjoyable team to watch. As I mentioned before, Dallas, Denver still trying to get their stuff together. Luka coming in a little bit out of shape, playing his way into shape. Jokic looks good, though. Looks like he uh, took some time to uh, come in ready to play right from the get-go, unlike last season, which in which he took almost a half a season to finally get himself into playing shape. But uh, Dallas looking to uh, move from a more just try to outscore everybody, let uh, Seth Curry go, brought in Josh Richardson, more of a defensive player. So in that regard, Dallas is looking to revamp and improve. But when you have Rick Carlisle as your coach and Luka as your superstar, along with Christoph Porzingis, who should be coming back. He hasn't played yet. I'm expecting the uh, Mavericks to go ahead and uh, get themselves into solid playoff uh, contention. Fifth, sixth seed, somewhere somewhere around that range by the time the playoff comes around. Golden State, give it up for Steph Curry, scoring, <laughs> scoring 62 points on Sunday night. I was watching a little bit of that game on NBA TV. Yeah, uh, Steph looked like he had something to prove. Steph looked like that he was on a mission. And the reason why I say that is because of the competition that they were playing against the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard, some of his uh, comments that was made about uh, Steph Curry. On Friday, Lillard came out and was talking about, you know, with the injuries the Warriors are dealing with and Steph playing with a younger team right now, he's seeing that it's tough to get those quality looks right now. It's different than what it looks like the last four or five years for him. He's trying to get quality looks and get a clean look so he can 
make a good one. He don't really have the luxury, that luxury to take one of that, to take one from that deep just to be taking it. Well, Curry was like, oh, okay, talking a little shit, huh? All right, well, here's what I'm going to do for you. And he put up 62. And the fact that he went to the line 18 times, this wasn't a situation where, you know, he scored 62 and hit 15 threes. He was eight, he was, he only hit eight three-pointers for him, making only eight when you score 62. You should put the only before the eight, before the three-pointers. Set a new career high, 18 of 19 from the free throw line, and he made 10 shots from inside the arc. Only the sixth time in his career that he's done that. So, yeah, of course, when you're not playing with Clay, Draymond, KD, the, the team has now changed. Now you're playing with Kelly Oubre. You're, Kelly, you're playing with um, a bunch of new players. And some guys that were uh, holdovers from last year, like Eric Pascal, the uh, midseason trade last season for Andrew Wiggins. So this is a, this is a different team. Um, it was nice to see Draymond come back, which I think because of his uh, his uh, ability on the offensive end to set up others, his intelligence on the offensive end as a point forward playmaker, that Steph got a lot of really good looks for him to make some shots. So I don't know about the Warriors. Still too early to tell, but we don't know what's going to be happening with Draymond in terms of his sustainability, is he going to be able to play some games in terms of, uh, you know, he's age, he's, he's 30 now, so we'll see about that. New squad, so, yeah. But right now the NBA is just, it's just really too early to tell. Really too early to tell. The Clippers seem to have bounced back from that uh, beatdown that they received at the hands of the Dallas Mavericks when they were down 77-27 at the half. The Jazz... They're restructuring their offense. They want to put up a lot more threes. Houston, they're still sort of in a mess because they don't know what's going on with James Harden while they still try to trade him. Um, Sacramento is Sacramento. Portland has had a couple of bad losses. So early, it's still early. Damian Lillard hasn't rounded into shape just yet in terms of uh, making the impact that he can scoring. So we'll see. The Nets played the Grizzlies on Friday night without... Kyrie Irving, oh boy, oh boy, nine games into the season, huh? oh boy. Prior to the game against the 76ers, the uh, Nets head coach Steve Nash said he did not know why Irving was sitting out, but he said, according to the story, that he reached out to Irving, but he did not hear back and reiterated post-game that it was a private matter. Hmm. Karis LeVert added that Irving texted the team to inform them of his decision, of his decision, and said it was a personal issue, but did not disclose any further information. With Kyrie, man, who knows? Who knows? I, I, I don't want to speculate. I don't want to do any of that. But I don't know. Whatever it is, I hope that he's doing all right. But with Kyrie, man, who knows? It could be something super serious. I mean, really serious, or it could be the events that happened on Wednesday has made him. Need makes you know he needs time to reflect on what happened and go deeper into himself and find out what his space is on this world and in this planet. What 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 is his energy? What's his chi? What is his biorhythms? What can he do in this stratosphere to help move the biorhythms of others so we can have love, peace, and unity? And maybe I need to do maybe I need to go to Washington with my sage. And spread good love and cheer 
by my by my presence and who knows with Steph, man. Who knows with Steph? Why he missed the game and why now he's not gonna be playing um on this game tonight against uh, Memphis. He didn't make the he didn't make the trip down to there down to Memphis. So who knows, man? Who knows? It's just Kyrie being Kyrie. Hopefully that um, those guys are just like, eh, all right, see you when you get back, man. We're only in game nine, so we still have 66 games left, so whatever, man. We'll, we'll see you when we see you. So the NBA is uh, something else, and I'm not going to kill him because, look, he doesn't need to tell me why. He doesn't need to tell me. He doesn't need to tell you. He doesn't need to tell the media. He doesn't need to tell anybody why he's missing the game. He's missing the game for personal reasons, period, in the discussion. Okay, I'm fine with that. I, I respect that. You don't need. To, I don't want to know why you missed the game. Just you know, when you show up, you show up. But it's not my. It's. Not, I don't. I don't need to know why he missed the game. You know, it's not his responsibility to tell me why he missed the game. He doesn't need to inform me on why he missed the game. Just like everybody else, that's his personal business. Greg Popovich has missed games before, for personal reasons, and he doesn't need to come back and let the world know why he missed the game. He missed the game. Because of personal reasons. That's good enough. And that's all I need to tread on in terms of why he missed the games. Now, if Kyrie didn't tell his employers, that might be a little bit of a problem. But that's for them to figure out, not me. I don't own the Brooklyn Nets. So their relationship with Kyrie as far as player, organization, as, a, as an employee, as a human being, that's, that's on them. And every, every relationship regarding that is different. So I'm not saying one is better than the other. If, the Nets are comfortable with the relationship that they have and Kyrie is, then none of my fucking business is none of my uh, business to sit there and give my thoughts and opinions about about it. When he comes back, he comes back. Good enough. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right. As you know, I always save the words for last. My Georgetown Hoyas. ba 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 We stink. Going for their third straight loss. On Saturday against Syracuse, we can do it, baby. Coming off a 63-55 loss at uh, Hinky Fieldhouse to Butler, Georgetown. I tell you one thing, man. These guys, I give you guys credit for one thing. You got to be Final Four contenders. If they had a tournament where they were selecting teams that choked or panicked or fell apart mentally at the slightest sign of trouble. I don't know if there's any team better in that department than you guys. So none of you guys can score. None of you guys have any type of offensive skills. None of you guys can barely guard anybody. None of you guys really have a good understanding of what basketball is all about from a team standpoint at a high Division I level. But I tell you one thing, when you guys are up by 15 and 18 and someone makes the basket, I tell you one thing, no team curdles, no team chokes better than you do. That is, that is for damn sure. Game against Marquette and Butler, hey, they were outscored in the second half, 80 to 45. That is some world-class choking. That is some All-American choking right there. I tell you, for the All-American choke team, shit, Javon, Javon Blair and Jamarco Pickett, you nano-miss. You nano-miss. So, hey, man, were you excited when they had that 18? No. Were you excited when they had that 15 point? No. You mean you're going to try to tell me you knew they were going to lose? Yes. So you weren't even mad when they lost? No. But they blew a 15 point. I knew they were going to lose. It's just, I couldn't get I couldn't get excited or angry or my emotions were just like yeah okay throwaway season looking toward next season these are all basically exhibition games eh, 
why am I going to lose my mind like I normally do when these guys are going to do nothing but blow another lead? I do that. And even if they do win, big deal. What does it mean? It means nothing. Well, all of a sudden, now we're going to qualify for the playoffs. This game is going to put us into the tournament. We stink. We absolutely stink. As long as Aminu Muhammad comes to town next year, next season, along with Ryan Matambo and those other recruits, that's all I care about. Now, if these games were being based upon whether these guys were going to come or not, like, you know, if you guys lose five games, I might have to decommit and uh, go somewhere else. If we're speaking about Aminu and uh, Mutambo. Now, if that was the situation, yeah, I might be losing my fucking mind right now and taking a couple of seconds off my life. But, um, you know, this team stinks. They have no, they have no talent to compete with uh, any of the guys. What are you talking about, Wendell? They led by 18 against Villanova, who was right, nationally ranked. They were playing with the number 10 ranked West Virginia squad for about 30 minutes before they lost. What are you talking about? Come on, man. Come on. Did, did you watch the game? Villanova was playing like in first gear. And then when they decided to kind of try a little bit and, and not even put it in overdrive, not even put it in fifth gear, they were like, okay, let's just move it to third, game over. Same thing with West Virginia. Did you really think Bob Huggins or any of those guys were concerned that they were going to lose? It was like, all right, let's go ahead and try a little bit, and that was it. And as I mentioned before, once Georgetown found out that Villanova was actually now trying, they panicked, they choked, and they mentally folded. That's who they are. That's what they are. The guys that are out there playing right now, that's what it's all about with them. Not a not trying to make fun of them. Not trying to downgrade them as human beings. But in this situation, that's what they do. And the evidence is there. Villanova and West Virginia outscored 91-54 to 54 in the second half. Or about the time the teams just, those teams just tried a little bit harder. All right. Yeah. It's what it is. That doesn't do, I mean, you know, coaching, you ain't should have done this, you ain't should have done that. I, I watched the games, man. I, I don't know what, I don't know what Patrick, what do you want Patrick Ewing to do? There's no offense available. There's no coach available. I don't give a damn who you are. There is no coach out there that's going to design plays that are going to give players wide open shots underneath the basket almost every single time. There's no coach out there like that. None. There's no coach who are going to, that's going to design those type of plays. So when we're talking about Ewing's offense, there's no offense out there that Patrick Ewing can employ that's going to help these guys. There's nobody on this team that can create their own shot. There's nobody on this team that can consistently hit a shot. There's nobody on this team that can consistently make plays for others. None. None. Jamarco Pickett can't do it. Your best scorer, Javon Blair, can't take anybody off the dribble. He always has to settle for step-back jumpers from about 22 feet. Maybe unless he's curling off a screen or something like that. But with the shot clock running down or the offense is being stagnated and you need to get a bucket, you're not going to throw to Javon Blair, clear the side, and tell him to go get a basket like you could last year with, um, with McClung. Can't do it this year. There's nobody on this team that can do it. Don Carey can't do it. Jamarco Pickett can't do it. Chudier Bilay thinks he can do it, but he can't. Donna, um, um, oh, um, Harris, the kid Harris. I can't believe the name forgot. The name uh, slipped my mind. The point guard that we have. He, I mean, he's he's a work in progress, but right now he can't do it. So uh, anybody, Jabari simply can't do it. Nobody, nobody on this team. Kobe Clark, nobody on this team can do that. 
So you know, when, we're, when you're playing big-time basketball, college basketball, you're not going to get wide-open shots all the time. You're not going to get wide-open 15-footers, wide-open 3-footers, and wide-open layups for guys who can make layups, for guys who can make 15-footers, and for guys who can make wide-open 3-point shots. We don't have anybody on that team can do any of those. So just a, just a monochrome of defense played on Georgetown, they don't know what to do. They turn the ball over. They make bad decisions. They take bad shots. They stop moving the ball. When teams start going on a run, they don't share the ball. They don't try to create for anybody else because they can't. They make bad turnovers. They try to do more than what they're capable of doing. That's what bad teams do. That's what that's what teams without any without any type of um, without any type of offensive talent. That's what they do. Those guys are, those guys are never going to be great defensive players. You're going to have to score. And unfortunately, they don't have the talent to score. So, I mentioned before, the game against Butler, they ended the game missing 10 of their last uh, the last 10 field goals and 13 of their last 14. I bet you, I guarantee you, out of, those, out of those 14 shots that were taken, I bet you eight of them are either good to decent shots. They missed layups. They missed jumpers. They missed contested jumpers. They missed contested layups. They miss dunks. What do you want Patrick Ewing to do? Hey guys, Jamarco, when you're a senior, I know that you're a senior, but when you get wide open from 19 feet, it would be nice if you could kind of hit that shot every once in a while. It would be nice. Hey, Javon, if you could, maybe, possibly, if you could find some way to maybe get to the rim and maybe finish. Oh, that's right. I forgot you can. Cutis, is there any way that you can go back to your left shoulder? Because all of your moves right now are to the right. You have no left hand. And you have no counter move that takes it back to the left. Timothy Eagle FA, could you? Never mind. Chudier B, like, could you? Never mind. What do you want these guys to do? What do you want them to do? Now, I will say this. I, I will say this. That one of the things that perplexes me is the, um, at the rotations for Jordan. Now, I will say that. That I, I don't, I, I'm not in practice and I'm not a coach, but I, I would ask Coach Ewing this. I mean, Coach, is, is there any way, and I know you coach by your gut and I know you coach by feel and what, how the game is going to determine the playing time and everything like that, but man, I, I just wish that, you know, some of the young players would get a certain amount of minutes. We're three and seven, we're not going anywhere, we're not making the tournament, and I know you're not all about that, I know you're about winning. But come on, man, let, let, let's be realistic. Does Don Carey really need to play 35 minutes a game? Does Javon Blair really need to play 37 minutes a game? Does Jamarco Pickett really need to play 32, 35 minutes a game? I mean, isn't there somewhere somehow that, you know what, in the first half, I'm going to have the rotation of Kobe Clark and Jabari Sibley and TJ Berger and Chudier Bile. Okay, those, those will be my guys off the bench. And for the first half, you guys are guaranteed to get at least three to five minutes. Three to five minutes, guaranteed at least. And for the most part, unless somebody gets in foul trouble or something happens, you're going to be coming in at this point, at this juncture in the game. So mentally going into every single game that these guys know that this is my role, this is what I'm going to be counted on, this is going to be my opportunity. So when they go to practice, when they get ready for the games, both physically and mentally, they know what their role is going to be in terms of, okay, if I'm going to be getting in at the 12-minute mark of the first half, 
By the time 14 minutes comes, all right, mentally, I'm getting ready. Mentally, I'm, you know, okay, watching the game a little bit more closely. How can I be used? Where am I going to be going? What opportunities do I have? Because I know in a couple of minutes, I'm going to be going into the game. And I think that would give them a better opportunity because I don't know. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not in practice. I'm not putting the lineup together. But I'm, I'm, I'm watching these games, and I'm like, what do these guys need to do to get some more consistent playing time? Kobe Clark plays two minutes in the first half. We never, we never see him again. Kobe Clark, Clark plays eight minutes, and the next game he doesn't play at all. He grabs ten rebounds, and then he doesn't play at all. Jabari Sibley had the pretty good second half against uh, Seton Hall, and he doesn't get in in the first half in the next game. Uh, T.J. Berker plays well and uh, against St. John's and hits a couple of three-point shots. Then the next game against St. John's, the next game, he doesn't play at all. And then he doesn't play the entire first half and most of the second half against uh, Butler. And then he comes in at the six-minute mark for a couple of minutes. And then he goes back out because Coach was upset because Javon Blair was being selfish and took another bad shot. I just, that's, that's the NBA mentality. In terms of these guys are pros, these guys need to be ready, these guys need to, no, they're not pros, coach. These guys are just college kids. And they need a little bit more structure in terms of the, in terms of their roles on the team. You're not dealing with grown men. You're not dealing with guys who are veterans in the league who have played that role for the last four or five years. So when you go ahead and get them as a free agent or when you go ahead and you trade for them, they already know how to play the role that they're going to be given. Man, these guys in high school, man, these guys were all playing 32 minutes a game, 30 minutes a game, taking shots, doing their things. Now you, you bring them into a new situation and it's like, again, I'm not saying that they need to have the same responsibilities, but I think if, again, they said, I'm going to be coming in for at least five minutes a game, and then depending upon how I play in the second half, I'll get some more time. So at the very least, I know every single game I'm going to be getting at least six minutes a game. Three minutes in the first half, three minutes in the second half. If you could give those young guys just that assurance, I think it would go a long way in for the development. As I mentioned, time and time and time and time and time and time again, you're going to need these guys, Coach, next season. Because we're not bringing in, we're not, we're not bringing in a superstar-studded class. Even if by the miracle of God we go ahead and get Chet Holmgren, it won't matter. We're going to need these guys. And you just can't say, well, you know, then they need, they need to get better during the summer because we're going to need them to uh, step up and play and this, that, and the other. Well, how are you going to be expecting them to play and step up and do their thing when they hardly got any experience their first year? I mean, shit, man. I'd rather see uh, Colin Holloway over Chudier Bile. I mean, what, what can he do? What can those guys do? Or can't do that cheap that the BLA can do. I mean, if you're looking for someone to miss shots, make bad decisions, make poor decisions, take bad shots when not needed, I mean, hell, anybody can do that on that team. So I don't I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, in Coach Ewing I trust. All right, I'm done. I'm out of here. Well, I thank everybody so much for listening to the podcast. I'll be back soon, very soon, next week, discussing what went down in um, the college football playoffs and wildcard weekend, along with some stuff about Georgetown and the NBA and anything that else. Maybe maybe if the uh, Proud Boys will go ahead, I don't know, maybe they'll run to the White House and start 
start desecrating that place or something, who knows. But uh, barring any type of uh, world events that bring embarrassment and shame to our country, next, <laughs> next podcast will be all about what's happening in the glorious and the wonderful world of sports. Peace. Just fade.